Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from an undecorated cell discussing the 1991 crime drama horror film, The Silence of the Lambs. This film was directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Ted Talley based on the novel by Thomas Harris. The Silence of the Lambs took the world by storm at its release. Oscars were awarded to the film for Best Picture, as well as to Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Jonathan Demme, and Ted Talley. Despite not being the first film to adapt the source material, its success paved the way for a franchise, which includes multiple films and a TV show. With its subdued scares, quotable lines, and an iconic performance from Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, The Silence of the Lambs has earned its spot in the zeitgeist of modern cinema. This film was requested to us by friends of the show Liz Heath, Kimberly Bass, Molly Gerhardt, Carissa, Brian Tempora, and Hunter McClendon. This film was also the winner of our July Patreon poll, so thank you to all of our patrons who participated and voted. If you want to help us pick an episode, join us over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash thepodmortem. So, what did you guys think about The Silence of the Lambs the first time you saw it? I can't even remember when I first seen this movie. I just know that it's always been there. Right. Yeah. And it's it's got I, I want to say it's one of my favorite movies or what well, has one of my favorite characters. Right. Hannibal. Yeah. And uh, I love the series, the movies that come with it. Uh, the TV show. Me and your sister were watching it. We didn't get to finish it. Oh, um, but it, it wasn't bad. I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember what service we were watching it on, but we were like all into it and they took it off. Yeah. And then they put it on another one. I want to say Netflix. I can't yeah, remember. I think and it then was. we were watching other stuff now. Yeah. Uh. We will double back. We'll double back. Well, the thing was, is like streaming rights are bullshit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you can't trust anything digital. Um, robots. <laughs> I, <laughs> what have you? What have you? They always betray the human race. <laughs> but <laughs> I um, definitely agree. I think I saw this film a little too soon the first time. Right. I understood fucking nothing about mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't even think I was able to really appreciate it. Yeah. I was probably like nine or ten whenever I saw it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It came out the year I was born, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. Anytime like anybody's ever, they do those weird things on Twitter where they're like, you a great movie from the year you were born. Yeah, yeah. I always do Silence of the Lambs. Why not? Because there's why nothing, not? I mean, I was going to say there's nothing else, but I bet there was. <laughs> yeah, there was like, <laughs> it was the only film released yeah. that year. But, it was uh, Best Picture? Yes, it was Best Picture. And which is nuts to me that it won so many Academy Awards. Yeah. Because the bl- amount of disrespect horror films get. Yeah. Well, I feel like... A oh, they, lot of people don't classify this as horror. That they is classify true. it as like a psychological drama right. or a thriller. So it's like, no, this one's allowed. It's yeah. like the same yeah. gatekeeping bullshit. But that gatekeeping bullshit falls away whenever people are like, you know, this is the only horror film to win. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? so it's like, it's the token. But pick, yeah, yeah. pick yeah. a fucking uh-huh. side. Which yeah. one is it? But uh, I mean, I guess I could see that. But Hannibal's fucking horrifying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's killing people left and right when he wants. There's, mm-hmm. there's, so, I mean, I don't, you know, yeah. there's slasher elements. If you think about it, yeah. yeah, there's. I mean, it's it's uh, it can be more than one genre, right? Well, the the poll that we had ran on Patreon was what smart killers or yeah. genius killers or something like that. When you hear that term, like, yeah, who do you yeah. think of? So, I mean, it it was it was the perfect yeah. film to win. He's honestly the smartest killer, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And 
catty as hell. Like, Where's, okay. <laughs> I fucking appreciate it. You gotta it love so somebody much. who's talking shit before they kill you. I honestly. I love it. That's your thing. Yeah. You love yeah. It. Oh, yeah. So he's got the smarts and a taste of Freddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. What's more terrifying yeah. than that? Yeah. No shit. And that I didn't remember at all, but some of the shit he says, I'm yeah. like, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that? Yeah. Really? Uh, but no, I think the film is like, I, I would say it's brilliant in the filmmaking aspect right the performances obviously oh, yeah. yeah i jody foster is fucking fantastic oh yeah, yeah. She is. um i do love i guess the progressive idea at the time mm-hmm. of her character oh right. yeah but there are some issues that arise with other characters absolutely yeah. that we'll talk about that kind of it, it's it's pretty upsetting yeah um mm-hmm. and we'll talk about it we won't you know beat anybody over the head with it i don't think but we will address it because there is some some stuff that's pretty problematic. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that it wasn't problematic at the time because it's problematic, period. Like, right. blanket yeah, right. problematic. It's, it's not just from the 30 years later lens. No, not at all. But, I mean, we'll get, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But I feel like I, like you said, John Paul, it has always been there. I think oh, that yeah. probably is an indication, like you said, that we watched it too young. Yeah. Because... I feel like the older I get, whenever I revisit it, I learn something new or Mm -hmm. I notice something new or there's some added nuance to Hannibal Lecter that makes it scarier. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the gift that keeps on giving in that regard besides like getting older and being like, oh, that's not cool. That (laughs) that part's not okay. Not so great. I will say, though, um, one thing I definitely did come to appreciate this time around because we, and I don't know how to say this without sound, I was going to say we're obsessed with serial yeah. killers. <laughs> and I don't, that's not how no, I mean it. No, that's accurate. <laughs> but the way that they kind of intertwine a lot of a different few, yeah. like influences yeah. into one character is very interesting. Uh, I do think that their behavioral science, the way that they try to delve into it, and the technical advising that mm-hmm. they got yeah. from the fucking dude, yeah, John incredible. Douglas, incredible. It's you know, it allows for more of a, I guess, not. I don't want to say well-rounded, but I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll say well-rounded. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we'll go with well-rounded. It helps with um, gives it kind of a more realistic feel. Exactly. Huh? For sure. yeah. I saw that a lot, or I read an article that said a lot of people that are in the FBI were like, "That's it." Oh, especially women. Oh wow! Uh-huh. We're like that's that's what it is. Yeah. Well, from what I read, the FBI kind of used it as a rec- recruiting tool. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I guess they had like a low number. You can be sexually harassed yeah. by the yeah. FBI agents Which, too. They had to okay a lot of parts in the script because they were like wanting to shoot at Quantico. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so the FBI is like, "Well, fucking let us see it." Yeah. And then they're like, "All right." And yeah. then they fucking you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? And they're like, well, our recruitment of women is pretty low, so this will be uh, yeah. pretty fucking sweet. Wow, what the and fuck? I'm like, I don't know how I feel about yeah. that. <laughs> I don't either. I think y'all kind of missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> but, <okay. laughs> but like you said in your intro, this isn't the first Hannibal Lecter movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the first, was it 1986 Manhunter? Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, With Gil Grissom. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Brian Cox was Hannibal. Really? I've never seen it. I yeah. want... I, 
need to, I would say that. Yeah. But he plays Will Graham, uh, William Peterson, yeah, is, yeah. is uh, Ed Norton's character in Red Dragon. Because uh-huh. it was based on Red Dragon, right? It's based on Red Dragon, yeah. Well, because yeah. Red Dragon happens before the Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Silence of the Lambs is, is the, the second book. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's kind of confusing. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> get past it. Just get past Just it. Just get past it. The thing is, is that Dino De Laurentiis bought the rights to Red Dragon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they made that film and it did not do well. And so Aww, poor Grissom. <laughs> they decide they want to do Silence of the Lambs after Thomas Harris. Yes. Writes it. Right. And so they have he everything. Written it yet? No. <laughs> he he wrote it in No pressure. He wrote it yeah. in nineteen eighty eight. Damn. And so everybody's like, you know, this is really good and they want to make a movie out of it. But then obviously from the failings of before, right. they're mm-hmm. like, Well, Dino De Laurentiis owns the rights to the Hannibal Lecter character on film. So we gotta ask him. <laughs> If we yeah, can do yeah. it. And so they asked him and they let them use Hannibal for free because they were fucking so oh, wow. disappointed. And then, of course, later on, after this film becomes a oh success, he's like, hey, uh, I'd like, like some money now. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Hey, yeah. Yeah. No, fuck That's you. Because <laughs> he, he produced Hannibal, the movie. Dino De Laurentiis did. That is crazy. He's like, you guys remember when I invented yeah, Hannibal? No, <laughs> hell no. You mean when you let us use him for free? Exactly. Yeah, when you no. had no faith in him? Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Come back now. Yeah. But it was what you said. We were talking about it earlier. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman bought the rights. I read that Jodie Foster uh-huh. wanted to buy the rights and oh, Gene wow. Hackman had already bought them. Oh, okay. And he <laughs> wanted to play Hannibal Lecter and direct the uh, film. I don't know about He was that. like, no, me though. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was going to play, what's his name? The um, Crawford. That would make yeah, more sense me. to me. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I was going to say, I don't know. He wanted to play Crawford okay. and direct the okay. film. Like, yeah. you're Hannibal? Yeah, like, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely not right. Aren't so you Superman's bad guy? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Doing both? Yeah. What are you- <laughs> All right. But he dropped out, I guess, after they wrote the script. He was like, this is way more violent than yeah. I thought. It's like, you bought the rights to the book. Yeah. yeah. Well, what I what I had seen was his daughter <laughs> read it. Oh. And was like, I really don't, I'm, I don't like this. Yeah. Like, I'm not, and he, he backed out. Well, I'm glad Jonathan Demme yeah. got involved. Because, oh, yeah. Dude, his direction of this film, I mean, just from the uh, matter of the performances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of times we say a lot of bad performances come down to bad direction. Yeah. These are some of the greatest performances yeah. of a lead cast that and, I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Stylistically, like there are choices made with like camera placement. Yes. And, yeah. And we'll get into it. But it's like, wow. Shit that, again, when you're watching it when you're younger, you're like, don't even like really clock it yeah, no. yeah and then now i'm like oh my god i get it like i you know that's such an interesting choice mm-hmm. and it makes sense in the big scheme of the film yeah but anyway sorry <laughs> <laughs> but something else that i found interesting okay <laughs> well, i digress yeah, you're like, no, but no, let wait, me talk some more me though. um thomas harris never watched this or any adaptation what because he was afraid that if he saw I guess Anthony Hopkins' depiction of Hannibal right. oh. that he wouldn't see him as his as his own character anymore. He would see them as Anthony Hopkins' uh, character. Okay. Which I mean, I did okay. <laughs> I thought I had read Silence of the Lambs. I never got that far. I read Red Dragon, right. which was a great book. Oh yeah. But I never did read The Silence of the yeah. Lambs. And when I was trying to research because the movie won the poll. I, I, I'm not gonna have time to read it. You yeah, know, yeah, let me yeah. just try to do a little research here. What I read, and again, I'm not confirming this because I did not read the book, but what I read was that in the novel, Hannibal Lecter has red eyes and six fingers on his left hand. Okay, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Word. I'm gonna go ahead and um, 
the character is now Anthony Hopkins' character. Yeah. <laughs> now, before we pair this film with some fava beans and a nice Chianti, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's chat. So the film opens with the score playing over bare trees against a misty backdrop. Text reads, Woods near Quantico, Virginia. Credits roll and we get the title card as we drop down into the woods. So first things first, this is a bold choice of font for Mm -hmm. this opening title. (laughs) I don't know why I never... a little... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh the music is great yeah i was very impressed by it throughout mm-hmm. especially the way that it's used to like punctuate a lot of scenes oh, yeah. yeah uh the score was done by a guy called howard shore and he works a lot with david cronenberg i thought oh. you were gonna say Polly shore no <laughs> he's his Damn father right. no, he's not. <laughs> but uh you know I, I think we talked about him on episode 56 when we covered the fly oh nice but he he does really great work 10 out of yeah. fucking 10 that was I'm a sorry, great one continue nobody turns into a fly in this one though yeah uh, <laughs> Damn it. now there are moths but <laughs> <laughs> you'll get your bug fixed yes. just hold on uh but he did uh, he did seven he did lord of the rings seven. He did dogma all right as well but the cinematographer who I want to call out early because I know it'll make you very happy, Nay, mm-hmm. is Tak Fujimoto, who also shot for me that thing you do, which I love. You love that movie. It's a fucking great movie. <laughs> I don't even care. It's not horror at all. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> What's the horrors of success and trying to make it? <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. But me though. What but about me. for me? Uh, for you, the majority of M Night Shyamalan's films. Ah! I am the resident M. Night apologist. You are. You know, mm-hmm. hey, that's the twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he made Shut up. like three perfect films. I will give you that. <laughs> and then I don't know what happened. <laughs> I cannot wait to dive into some so more M. Night. The happening. Um, the okay, happening. Moving, We're starting the happening. in a weird no, spot. <laughs> moving on. And old. I mean, <laughs> it just went yeah, silent. Well. <laughs> <laughs> we was talking about perfect films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm I, even I'm just kidding about yeah. that. But yeah. Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster, runs an obstacle course. She continues to run until FBI instructor, played by Lawrence A. Bonney, stops her, saying that Crawford wants to see her in his office. Panting, she thanks him and runs back in the opposite direction. So is she doing this obstacle because there's nobody else with her? Mm-hmm. Is this just for fun or like? I think that Clarice Starling is working her fucking ass off yeah. to get every moment that she is awake. I think yeah. that she is just busting her yeah. ass. They'd find my body on that. <laughs> yeah. She's like flipping over nets and yeah. she's like, okay, bitch. And like, it's clearly no Jodie Foster. Oh, oh yeah. 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 And plus, how annoying is that? You're trying to get your workout on and just, hey, they need to now, talk to you. Yeah. Motherfucker, I'm sweating. It's like- just, and she is sweating. Yeah, yeah she is. Like, but just rude. in all fairness, if there is someone who is saying something about a meeting to me, no, yeah. my heart rate's going to stay. <laughs> yeah. So the workout continues. I'm still, yeah. I'm all right, still yeah. getting my workout. <laughs> but she runs past signs that read hurt, pain, agony, love it, which I thought, I want to call it foreshadowing, but yeah. it's a little foreshadowy. I learned on commentary that that's an actual sign at Quantico. Oh, wow. That's yeah. Quantico, that's fucking intense, yeah. man. Because <laughs> they filmed a lot of it here. There. We're not at Quantico. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Live from right Quantico. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pod Mortem's a psyop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she goes past others who are training and into the big FBI building. 
Once inside, she says a quick hello to her friend Ardelia Matt, played by Casey Lemons, as the two pass each other. Yeah, so happy to see her. Fantastic. After passing through a classroom of men and standing amongst much larger men in an elevator, which I thought that visual of her very tiny, yeah, surrounded yeah. by all these men, it's just like indicative of the girl in the boys club mm. vibe that she gets a lot through this film. They do a couple of those shots that really sell that. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. very smart. But she passes a sign that reads behavioral science services. She sticks her head in an office where Agent Burroughs, played by Lawrence T. Rents, tells her that Crawford will be back in a moment and to just wait in his office. We follow her as she does so, quietly looking around Crawford's office until her gaze stops on an assortment of crime scene photos of women with huge patches of their skin missing. And newspaper clippings, one of which with a notable headline, Bill Skin's Fifth. So this was taken from their actual visits at Quantico. Oh, all right. They said that whenever they're working a case, they have like these photos up in offices wow. to like kind of either. Be great for morale. Yeah. Oh yeah, like remember that? Uh, God, <laughs> remember damn. the worst thing you've ever yeah. seen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remember the reason you have nightmares? <laughs> They had said that uh, Carl Fullerton, he was a special effects uh-huh. makeup guy, him and Neil Martz. These are individual makeups that they did for each photo. Mm-hmm. They're all different women. Wow. Damn. They're all actresses. Because okay. he was kind of pissed off on this featurette I watched where they had said that they told him those dummies that you guys did for those <gasps> photos are fucking great. He goes, those are real people. Oh my God. <laughs> he was like, not happy. <laughs> I wouldn't be either. He was not happy at all. But it looks great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they said that they designed the offices after, because I didn't know this, but apparently at Quantico, everybody's office is fucking cramped as hell. I bet. And so everybody was like really claustrophobic in these offices because it's like, I don't know if it's just a matter of having a lot of special agents, right? but it, uh, no thanks. Well, in Mindhunter, isn't it kind of like that too? It is. They're real cramped in and trying to pack everybody into a room. At some yeah. point, they're working in a basement. Yeah, <laughs> I love Mindhunter. It's so, so much. great. Good. Give us another season, yeah. please. David Fincher, are you listening? Yeah. Yeah. Give, us a, give us a call. Yeah. <laughs> but Clarice is brought back from distraction when Jack Crawford, played by Scott Glenn, enters his office and calls her name. Now, Jack Crawford is the one that was based on Mindhunter, okay. speaking of which, yeah. John yeah. Douglas. I saw an interview with him where he had said that he spent a lot of time with a lot of agents at Quantico uh-huh. and of course uh talking to John Douglas right and that he was staunchly against the death penalty and after his time with all of these agents he is for the death penalty now Scott he said that he, yeah he said that it fundamentally changed who he is and how he saw people and crime hmm? well uh, yeah I was like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> like that, did they brainwash <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> like, okay that's intense I heard because Jodie Foster took three days, full days, yeah. of John Douglas's class. Wow. For Man, preparation. Oh, John Douglas right. is my career idol. No, like, he's... If I could have, I mean, obviously, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that is the goal that I want. That is the degree that I want. Like what he does yeah, yeah. interviewing these people and kind of like cracking their head open yeah. and seeing what, what makes them do what they do. Dream job. That's Dream, literally yeah. what I right, want to right. do. I did also, <laughs> Jodie Foster on commentary said something that was like kind of like a backhanded thing. Because Scott Glenn, his character Crawford, is yeah. based on uh, yeah. John yeah. Douglas. And she said that Scott Glenn is nothing like John Douglas. John Douglas, she said he's tall, he's attractive, he's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't think, I don't think you realize what you're okay. doing here. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Good working with you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
But he apologizes for pulling her off of the course and mentions that her instructors tell him that she's in the top quarter of her class. This is welcome news to Clarice, who tells him that they haven't posted any grades yet. She's like, well, hell yeah. (laughs) He asked her to sit, telling her that he came across an interesting errand and it made him think of her. He remembers her from a seminar that he gave where she grilled him about the FBI civil rights practices. And he said that he gave her an A, but she corrects him. It was an A minus. She knows her shit. Yeah. Yeah. He smiles and rattles off her credentials, majoring in psychology and criminology, graduating magna cum laude, summer internships at a clinic. He reads her file that after she graduates, she wants to work for him in behavioral science. And she confirms this, saying that she wants that very much. He tells her that they're interviewing all serial killers in custody for a psychological profile because it could help with unsolved cases. While most of them have been willing to talk, the one they want to talk to the most won't speak with them. He asks Clarice if she spooks easily, and with a laugh, she tells him no. He tells her that he wants her to go to the asylum and take another shot at interviewing this killer. Clarice asks who it is, and Crawford tells her, the psychiatrist, Hannibal Lecter. Clarice quietly muses, Hannibal the cannibal. Now, (laughs) (laughs) you gotta think. We've talked. This is some shit to drop on a new cadet. It is. She's still a student. Yeah. Absolutely. I just want to talk about how funny it is that. We don't talk enough about... Thomas Harris named his cannibal character Hannibal. Hannibal. (laughs) You named him that. that, Could have been anything at all. That's amazing. Isn't (laughs) It is. Okay. But Crawford continues that he doesn't expect Lecter to talk with her. So if he doesn't, he just wants Clarice to report back with how he looks, how his cell looks, if he's sketching, what he's sketching. He gives her a dossier on him, a copy of the questions she's supposed to ask, and an ID for her. He tells her to have a memo on his desk by Wednesday morning, and Clarice immediately agrees, taking what he's given her. She starts to leave, but stops, asking why the urgency when Hannibal Lecter has been locked up for years. She asks if there can be some kind of connection between him and the Buffalo Bill killings. Crawford says that he wishes there was a connection, but he tells her to just maintain her focus. I don't like how thick the dossier is and how little time he's giving her. Yeah, It's thick. I know it's the FBI and <laughs> yeah. probably yeah. time is of the essence. But I also think that I, it seems very cool that she's getting this opportunity mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like there's some ulterior motives on behalf of Crawford right. that don't really get the attention they deserve in this film. For sure. Yeah. I, I just feel like, and I, I think... My knee jerk is I want to be like, I would have 500 questions to ask him before I leave to go do this. Of course. But Clarice, this is the man that she admires. She went Mm. to his seminar. She wants to work for him. He's like throwing you this bone. You just take the bone and you do what he's telling you to do. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I can get why. And and she's clearly so ambitious. If she wants to work in behavioral sciences, this is the kind of work she wants to be doing. So I can see why she's just like, you got a boss. But I mean, it's like, but that's still a lot. But yeah, why dude. though? Even the, I mean, the fact that she's like, he's been locked up for years. Yeah. Why do I have to do this now? And yeah. have the memo by Wednesday? Yeah. And like, what day today? Can we also talk that you said I'm in the top quarter of the class? Yeah, I was like, let's go back to my grades. Like, like, I'm not why me though? Yeah. And I feel like that's explored in the next scene, which is also fucked up, but mm-hmm. we'll get there. But Crawford warns her to be very careful around Hannibal Lecter and says that Dr. Chilton at the asylum will tell her all the physical procedures that need to be followed when coming into contact with him. These procedures have to be followed closely and she can't tell him anything personal about herself because she does not want Hannibal Lecter inside her head. 
He tells her to do her job and not forget what he is. So I'm very, I'm, I'm not a cocky person, but I feel like I'm very headstrong in that I don't think that if someone tried to get inside my head, they could do it. Mm. That's but what everybody thinks. I, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem because I would think that I'm like, he's not going to get me. Yeah. But after meeting Hannibal Lecter, I know that I would leave like Renfield Amen. fucking <laughs> <laughs> full on <laughs> disciple and like my life yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. But Clarice asks, what is he? We cut to her question being answered at the asylum by Dr. Frederick Chilton, played by Anthony Heald, uh, the real villain of this film. <laughs> yeah. God damn, this dude. <laughs> Fucking sucks. I hate him so much. But Chilton says he's a monster, a pure psychopath. Clarice stands in his office as he says that from a psychological point of view, Hannibal Lecter is their most prized asset because it's so rare to get someone like him alive. Then Dr. Chilton shoots his shot. Yes, he does. He tells Clarice <laughs> that he sees many detectives come through, but none as attractive as she is. He smiles at her and asks if she's staying overnight in Baltimore. This town can be really fun with the right guide. <laughs> <laughs> she handles it like a fucking boss. Yeah, she does. She yeah. politely tells him that she's sure that it's a great town, but she has clear instructions to report back this afternoon after interviewing Hannibal Lecter. His smile drops and he's like, well, let's make it quick then. Yeah. And this is when I noticed when, when, she's having the conversation with Crawford and he's giving her her assignment. He's staring directly into the camera, directly at yeah. us. Mm -hmm. And then when we go to Chilton's office, he's staring directly at the camera, directly at us. It's such an interesting choice of Demi to have us really in Clarissa's point of view yeah. for a lot of these conversations, because we never see her head on like that. Like she's never looking no, directly yeah, yeah. at us like that. So I feel like it's, it was a very interesting choice. I saw uh, something that had, equated it to like or um said that it may have been a nod to the male gaze because Possibly. this is not the this is not the last time Clarice is gonna be fucking hit yeah, on yeah. or implied that you know people want her or whatever and I just felt like it was such a such an interesting choice to do it that way and kind of force her into force us into her perspective even if you know you're a man or somebody mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything in common with her or can't understand like the boys club bullshit that she's going through i thought that was really really cool of yeah. demi to I, I think it's a nice touch and he does it like quite a bit a lot it's yeah. a even lot. more severe coming up in the next yes. scene mm -hmm. but as he was saying that i was like man is this really gonna fucking like is every dude gonna be gross i don't want because she's literally just trying to do her job trying to do yeah. her fucking job like yes yes i'm very pretty i don't need fucking your weird <laughs> no. ass and he's like like we're not we haven't even done the business we came like no. yeah, after. No like shit. i don't yeah. know it's just don't do it at all yeah don't. But if you got to do it at all let me do my fucking job first like yeah. it's just annoying he's he's very cringe yeah i was like <laughs> oh my awful. god dude i'm like like you said she came to do her job yes then you give your own little take on hannibal yeah uh -huh. then immediately turn around with you want to go get something to eat <laughs> like, dude, what, the fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about you just talking about how a monster this yeah. dude is but now you want me to go have fettuccine with you somewhere it's like what the fuck it's like nah i'm good dude like, hey, just, that's let me go talk to him <laughs> But they pin on ID badges and she follows him through the asylum. He explains that they've tried to test Lecter, but he's too smart for them. He hates them, too, even considering Dr. Chilton to be his nemesis. He says that Crawford is clever to be using Clarice. And when she asks for clarification, Dr. Chilton says that she's a pretty young woman who will turn Lecter on. See, and I don't think that's accurate of uh, him to like no. Lecter. That's not how his mind uh -uh. No, it's, operates. It's, it's not. I feel like Dr. Chilton is not that he 
he I mean, obviously, he's a, a psychologist. Yeah, he is qualified. But I feel like his credentials and his talent are very much outweighed by his arrogance. Yes. And maybe it's like, I think she's she's turning me on. So she's probably turning, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we have what a, are you talking? That is like, not the man that we're about to meet at no, all. No, no, I'm going to keep saying it until she agrees to the fettuccine. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what's happening. Yeah, like, you got to. You're going like, to break. Oh, my God. <laughs> He says that Lecter hasn't even seen a woman in eight years and Clarice is just his type, so to speak. Again, there's no no, um, no, no. evidence of no. this that we see or we hear through no. the rest of the film. It's just but. him being a fucking creep. Yes. Uh, well, he says that she's just his taste. Yeah, he does okay, say yeah, that. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, uh, but still, from yeah. what we learned, that's not confirmed either. But no. whatever. He's still just shooting a <laughs> <Yeah>. shot. <laughs> it's gross. You look like you taste good. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> but Clarice reminds him that she graduated from UVA and not a charm school. And he says that she should have no problem sticking to the rules then. I love that she said that. Yes. They enter the cell block and he goes over the rules. Do not approach or touch the glass. Pass him nothing but soft paper, no pencils or pens, no staples or paper clips in the paper. Only use the sliding meal tray to pass things. If he tries to give her anything, do not accept it. She tells him that she understands as they pass through multiple cells that other COs lock behind them. So as even as we're taking this journey to Lecter's cell, in the background, there's this sense of like, no, we're locking this. No, we're mm-hmm. locking. Like, we are so far deep. It's unnerving. Yeah. Well, part of me is like, okay, well, then that means the worst of the worst must reside here. Oh, yes, yeah. Exactly. Number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two, I feel like all these warnings that she got from Crawford only to get more yeah. from yeah. him. Yeah. It's like, Jesus Christ. And it almost kind of reminded me of the exorcist whenever they're warning, like, do not speak to the demon. Yeah. And all that <laughs> stuff. That's how it feels. Well, these <laughs> rules are also broken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the second father cares because there's like, no, she's not. Yeah. It's like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck like, did I tell you? Are you doing? Like, yeah. what? Why are you doing this? Shut up. <laughs> Keep Reagan's name yeah. out <laughs> your fucking mouth. <laughs> but Chilton says that he's going to show her why they insist on the precautions they've set on july 8th 1981 happy birthday mom (laughs) hannibal Lecter complained of chest pains and was taken to be looked at they removed his mouthpiece and his restraints to give him an ekg and when the nurse leaned over him dr chilton produces a photo for clarice to see what Lecter did to the nurse their faces bathed in a red light clarice stares at the photograph Chilton goes on to say that doctors were able to more or less reset her jaw and save one of her eyes. But Lecter's pulse never got above 85 during the attack, even when he ate the nurse's tongue. Nice. All right. That's a lot to take in right now. (laughs) Um, I kind of I was like, let me see the picture. (laughs) I'm kind of glad that we didn't because the look on her face said a lot. Yeah. Uh Um, Also, I thought that he hadn't seen a woman the whole time he was here. Whatever. Well, um, Chilton fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah, Don't forget that. Uh, My thing is, of course, I appreciate you calling up the red light. Yes. I love the tight shots and the red light back and forth. Mm -hmm. Cinematography is very much on point in this film. Yes. I also did think it was strange that he had the fucking photo on him. Like, yeah. Like it's pictures of his kids. Yeah. Uh, Marge with Milhouse's teeth. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why are you having that? That was weird. And I also, I didn't like 
the way that he explained it to her. No. Because it wasn't like, look, listen, you have to follow these rules because mm. look what happened to a woman that that wasn't aware yeah, yeah. of what he it's like even when he ate her tongue like it's like yeah, he's well, like like teasing i don't know i don't like it i just don't fucking like yeah. this guy at all i think his thing is it's just a lack of professionalism yes yeah. very all much so. because he's treating this like a campfire tale yeah. yeah when it's a real fucking person yeah that she's about to go talk to yes yeah. but chilton starts to lead her where he keeps Hannibal Lecter. I thought, uh, whatever. Yeah. But he personally? That's yeah. what he said. This is where I keep him. But she stops him. If he really thinks that Chilton is his enemy, maybe her chances would be better if he didn't see her with him. And she's 100% oh, right. Yeah. I think it's a good excuse just to get rid of him. Yeah, it no, is, but she's also she's right. very right. Yeah. But Chilton hesitates for a moment and looks over at an orderly, Barney, played by Frankie Faison, before answering annoyed. She could have just told him this in his office and saved him all this time. It's like, you're a dick. Yeah. You're a dick. Well, in all fairness, they did walk through, according to commentary, I believe four different locations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they are now arriving on a set. In all fairness, it's he's a, got a long walk yeah. back. It's a, it's a long walk. Yeah. But this shit, like these little dungeons, when I was in Leavenworth, they have dungeons under the prison like this. No oh my shit. God. With, with little cells and they're small, the doors. The utility workers used to tell us, and it was like, what? And they're like, man, it looks like they still use those. Was Hannibal Lecter like, oh, down fuck there? No, no, but uh, the Birdman was down there. What? Yeah, he was there for a little while, and I guess they took him out. He was there for like a stay. and He then, flew away? I don't know. <laughs> that was before my time. Okay. <laughs> We're not talking about Michael Keaton? No. <laughs> But she gets a smile from him by saying that if she had done that, told him in his office, she would have missed the pleasure of his company. Clarice is smooth as fuck. Yeah. Yes. She's good at working people. Yes. Yeah. Which will come in handy because fucking hell. Oh, yes. Yeah. But Chilton instructs Barney to bring Clarice out once she's finished and he abruptly leaves. Clarice steps into the area with Barney who locks the door behind him. She scans everything. Chilton walking back upstairs on the security cameras, another orderly looking at her blankly, a cop loading a gun before putting it on a wall of weapons. Then finally she stops on Barney who introduces himself. He asks if Chilton told her not to get near the glass and she says that he did. Again, you, I mean, the repetition (laughs) of this is horrifying. She introduces herself and hangs her coat on a hook before continuing on. Barney opens the door for her, telling her that he's at the very end, past all the others. So again, as fucking yeah. far yeah. as you can get. <laughs> Walk the entire way. He tells her to keep to the right before closing and locking the cell door between them. He says that he put out a chair for her and that he'll be watching and she'll do just fine. Barney's the only nice man we've met. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was appreciating how he was talking to her. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, like she's a human. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. But he presses a button and the door keeping Clarice from the inmate row slides open. She walks through slowly, immediately being greeted by friendly psychopath, played by Don Brockett. She passes brooding psychopath, played by Frank Seals Jr., who just stares at her. She continues forward, keeping her eyes on the chair set in front of the glass enclosure all the way at the end of the row. Miggs, played by Stuart Rudin, jumps along his cell, alerting Clarice that he can smell her. That's a very polite way. (laughs) Y'all know what he said, goddammit. Yeah. She doesn't break stride, finally reaching her destination where, standing in all of his jumpsuit glory, is Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. On that documentary I watched, Anthony Hopkins said that standing was his idea because the director asked him how he wanted to be seen for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, if I am have you know all this buildup, 
yeah. to meeting Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Lots of He's like, up. you know, him sitting there drawing, it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Him just like, you know, lying in the bed doesn't work. Him standing because he's waiting because he knows that she's coming. Yeah, yeah. That's Hannibal Lecter. And politeness is a big thing with him. Yes. Oh, yeah. So him standing up to greet her, it it's perfect. One thing that I will say is it really feels like Jonathan Demi gave a lot of the actors a lot of room to interpret these characters and yes. a lot of mm-hmm. input on things that they say, things that they do. I, I think that that is very cool. I also wanted to talk about the glass cell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's obviously different from everybody else. Oh, yeah. yeah. The original design in the screenplay was just regular bars. Right. And so the production designer, Christy Zay, she had like various different lengths of bars yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. And then Jonathan Demi's like, well, if we're shooting through the bars and it's always going to be there. Yeah. And that becomes a very cool visual later. Yes. Yeah. But for this introduction, she goes, well, what about like a glass like case? And everybody fucking lost their yeah. shit over yeah. it. And it's perfect because there's very little separating these two. Mm-hmm. Yes. It only adds to the tension. Yeah. You see him full on. You see her. It's perfect. It yeah. really is. It was a smart decision. And, and that's what I'm saying. I feel like a lot of directors are like, no, me, me, me. I make the decisions. Yeah. You read what's written, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it feels like he was so open to just suggestion and anything that would make this film better. Right. And I think it's a better film for it. Well, it films should be i know that you should have your vision but it's it's a A collaboration yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah but lector bids her good morning and she introduces herself asking permission to speak with him again uh just a a very quick sidebar the hello clarice that everybody says he never says that it's one of those uh says good morning good evening good afternoon hello or no not (laughs) (laughs) the only one (laughs) that's the one he doesn't say but you know what i mean that we all misremember it but i i saw a thing that says that he never said it and i was listening for it and he doesn't say it well goddamn yeah pop culture is fucking yeah Yeah. no we just morph shit to to what we want i guarantee that becomes what it is one person parodied it and then it just became that (laughs) fucking jim carrey and the cable guy or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but lector immediately identifies her as one of jack crawford's and she admits that this is true he asks for her credentials and her eyes dart along his cell as she reaches in her pocket and presents her badge he asks her to come closer closer and she does, taking a couple steps closer to the glass. You're already breaking rules. Yes. The two stare at each other before he looks down at her badge and tells her that it expires in one week. He proposes that she's not real FBI, and she tells him that she's still in training. This is so astute. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's too... He's yeah. like, that's that's not normal. Yeah. yeah. One thing I will say is that the shot of her showing her ID... I, I don't think that her hair is a wig for like 99% of this, <laughs> yeah. but that looks, <laughs> it looked different. It did. It looked bigger. I don't know what happened. It looked bigger. It did. I don't know if it was reshoots or what, but I'm like, I think that might be a wig. <laughs> With wide eyes, he seems perturbed that Crawford sent him a trainee, but she tells him that she's here to learn from him and that he can decide for himself if she's qualified to do that. Lecter mulls it over, finally telling Clarice that that's very slippery of her. And it is. Mm -hmm. He addresses her as Agent Starling. Abruptly, he invites her to take a seat, and she does. With the shot tight on his face, he asks her what Miggs next door said to her as she walked by. Without missing a beat, she answers him, quoting Miggs directly. And he uses the C word. He does. Like, he's fucking nasty. (laughs) Lecter says that he himself cannot 
before raising his nose. She, he said that he can smell her cunt. All right, I was supposed to say. But I, Lecter's like, I can't. Yeah, but, I was like, cool. Like, yeah, like, you? yeah. But he raises his nose to the breathing holes in the glass and takes a deep breath. That was unnerving. To it was. Me. Yeah. That was another thing that Anthony Hopkins kind of added as far as the smelling. Yeah. Because originally the sound design guy was like, well, if you're putting him in a glass case, it's going to sound muffled and fucking yeah, horrible. Yeah. Right. And she's uh, the production designer was like, well, we can drill the holes in it. Yeah. Because that's what they have. Yeah. 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 And so when they did that, Anthony Hopkins gets an idea. Yeah. God damn it. And he starts See? using it. It's the same thing with uh, the costume because you have the original idea was he was just going to have an orange jumpsuit. Yeah. And then Colleen Atwood, the costume designer, was like, well, he's Hannibal Lecter. I guarantee that he would somehow find a way to tailor the suit perfectly yeah, for him. Yeah. And you see that it's crisp. It's, it's fucking. Clean. Yeah, yeah. It makes him look. Yeah. So I mean, like pristine. Everything in service of the character. For yeah. sure. Jonathan Demme. He's not standing in the way of anyone. Yeah. No, that's great. But Lecter can tell that she uses Evian skin cream before identifying the perfume that she sometimes uses, remarking that she's not wearing it today. That is scary. <laughs> yeah. But see, I like, think that I know that's weird when he's like, I cannot. But <laughs> I feel weird. like that also <laughs> like then he says this. Yes. It's like, oh, you're not you're not sexually charged or you're not no, like, no, I'm going to kill you because you're a woman or because whatever. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm above all that. Yeah. I don't give a fuck who I kill, but I can smell your, you know. But I let me like, show you yeah. that I know me, all yeah. this intimate shit yeah. about you. Like it's, From just it's, the smell. Yes. Like, yeah. God damn. From another room, basically. Yeah. yeah. And another thing I'll say is that after, you know, dealing with the people that she passed to get to him. Yeah. He does not belong here. No. no. This is a very odd wing for him to yeah. be in. But, he should be in his own little thing. But that makes it even more unnerving. Like there's something scarier if if there's two baddies bad guys yeah, or whatever yeah. and one is screaming and saying blah, 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 you know blah, blah, and yeah. one is just quietly fucking standing there yeah. and being utterly respectful and yeah. eloquent that is way scarier than this dude over here that's no, just screaming yeah, yeah. and well, jumping around because he's cerebral yes he's calculating that, the calculating yeah. part of it that's what it's like fuck yeah because I don't, I don't think this would have been the same if they did it at like an ADX at a Supermax. Because mm -hmm. right. you stay in there. They roll a shower to your door. Oh, my God. Your, your mail is read. They put it on a screen. You read it like you don't. Like, no. You don't yeah, even there physically is no get contact. the mail? No. Good like, there, yeah, there's nothing. So I'm glad that this is how they came up with it. But honestly, it, he probably should have been in there. I mean, he well. probably, yeah. <laughs> But changing the subject and not answering, confirming or denying, she asks if he did all the drawings hung up and strewn around his cell. He motions to a drawing of a building in Italy seen from the Belvedere and asks if she knows Florence. She doesn't answer him, asking if he did all of the detail in the drawing from memory. He tells her that memory is what he has now instead of a view. I will say that his drawings are amazing. Incredible. Yeah. If he would have channeled his energy into that yeah. instead of <laughs> eating <laughs> motherfuckers, <laughs> I think. You wouldn't be here right no, now. He might have been better for it. <laughs> he was like, I, when I was born, they named me Hannibal. I had no yeah. choice. Yeah. You, your profession has to rhyme with your name. Yeah. <laughs> that choice was taken from me. With a chuckle, she asks if he'll lend his view on the questionnaire that she's brought, but he tells her no. He says she was doing just fine, being courteous and accepting his courtesy. She established trust by admitting the embarrassing thing that Mig said, but this segue into the questionnaire was ham-handed. Yeah. <laughs> In all fairness, it was the only thing that didn't feel genuine. It yeah. didn't at all. Yeah. Um, clearly, 
that's your agenda. That's why you're here. Yeah. But him describing it as ham handed was really funny. Did you imagine a person with ham strands? Yeah. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> you paused it to laugh. And <laughs> I had a little giggle and then I got back to work. He clicks his tongue in disappointment, telling her that it won't do. She said that she's simply asking him to look at it. And the fact is that he either will or he won't. But he says that Jack Crawford must be really busy if he's getting help from his students. He must be tracking that new one, Buffalo Bill. He muses over how naughty Buffalo Bill is before asking Clarice if she knows why Buffalo Bill was given that name. He asks her to please tell him why because the newspapers don't say. She tells him that it started as a bad joke in Kansas City Homicide where they said that Buffalo Bill likes to skin their humps. Lecter asks why she thinks that Buffalo Bill skins them and Clarice answers immediately. She thinks that it excites them and that they keep the skins as a trophy. Most serial killers keep trophies. Lecter reminds her that he didn't keep any trophies and she's like, I know, you ate yours. I was like, that was ballsy. (laughs) He does look a little ashamed when she says that. (laughs) Oh, so you know me. (laughs) (laughs) My reputation. (laughs) (laughs) He tells her that she can send the questionnaire through and she uses the meal slot as she was instructed to before sitting back down. Lecter licks his finger before looking over the questions and he asks if she really thinks she can dissect him with such a blunt tool and she tries to deny this but he interrupts her remarking on her ambition. I noticed as well whenever he licked his finger to do the turn mm-hmm. to turn the page I guess I could say. Do, yeah. the turn. <laughs> do the turn. Uh, he kind of like slightly winks at her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like there I don't feel like there's anything necessarily sexual. Right. No. It feels like more of just like a like a flirtatious kind of a yeah. exchange. Yeah, it's yeah. a very every scene that they have together and I think they they have like four. Yeah, it's not a lot. Riveting. Yeah. yeah. They're back and forth. I mean, it is Top notch. Oh, yeah. And the f- it's this kind of upset me because in my notes, I put how amazing their chemistry is. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then I watched that featurette and Anthony Hopkins said that he goes, I don't understand when people say that there is good chemistry between actors. I show up, I say my line, I, I do the work. <gasps> I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. You I cross out my notes. It's like, sorry, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> Have a quick cry. Yeah. But... Lecter's like, do you want to know what you look like to me with your good bag and your cheap shoes? I was like, you don't what? need to fucking drag me. What? Like, either answer he's the question <laughs> or don't. <laughs> <laughs> but he says that she looks like a rube. He presumes that she's not more than one generation away from poor white trash, is she? He remarks on her West Virginia accent that she's tried so hard to be rid of. Mimicking her accent, he asks what her father does. She stares as he continues, talking about how the boys found her fumbling in the backseat of cars while she only dreamed about getting out, about getting all the way to the FBI. He's too good. Yeah. And it's frightening. I'm going to head out. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, I, Crawford, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> I'm not he called me out of my <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Look at my shoes. <laughs> I'm a student. How the fuck? I can't afford yeah, no. first rate shoes. Or? I read that, the, that him mimicking her accent was... Anthony Hopkins on the spot <laughs> and that Jodie Foster was not expecting that at all. Yeah. So her reaction is like, well, she yeah. looked specifically pissed off. Oh about yeah. That. Well, that it's rude. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I did read that her accent kind of came on, on set. Really? Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Demi had said, I guess he pulled her aside after one take because she sounded like, he's like, you sound like you're from California. Yeah. Mm. And then so she, you know, just put it on and he's like, that's Clarice Starling. <laughs> yeah, that was it. There you go. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
But she admits that he does see a lot and asks if he's strong enough to point his perception at himself. This line was ruined uh, yeah. by American Dad. But it, was. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great It's, it's a, a great, great line. line. <laughs> because he gave it to her and she's giving it right back. Yeah. 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 But uh, Roger. Roger yeah. yeah. But she does invite him to take a look at himself and write down what he sees, but maybe he's afraid to. In response, he tells her that when a census taker tested him, he ate his liver with fava beans and a nice Chianti, and then he does his this weird slurping <laughs> thing that, that he good. does. Well, um, well hold, hold on. Uh, <laughs> I did tweet when we were watching Hannibal about how fucking good those meals yeah. looked, but I was like, if you didn't know what they were, back to like your rat meat exactly. Taco Bell argument. Yeah. I already loved it. It's too <laughs> late. It's too late. Um. I want to know what a census taker did that, yeah, that, that pissed yeah. him off. He's like, so look, much. how many fucking people are in the house? Yeah. He's like, come inside. You can count. You can count in here. Step inside this pot. See, all he wants is for you to be respectful and yes, nice. That's it. Really? That's all. So I think that must have been, and he must have felt disrespected. Yeah. But after putting the questionnaire back in his meal slot, Hannibal Lecter tells Agent Starling to fly back to school. Without another word, Clarice gets her bag and starts the trek back down to the guards. As she passes Miggs's cell, we see that he is naked on his bunk now, muttering that he bit his wrist so he could die. He invites Clarice to look at his blood before flinging his ejaculate through the bars and into her face and hair. He laughs at this, but the rest of the inmates yell at him. Lecter screams for Clarice to come back, and she does run back to his cell. This was fucking disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Lecter tells her that he never would have wanted that to happen to her because discourtesy is unspeakable to him. She tells him to just do the test for her then. And he says, no, but he will give her a chance for advancement. He tells her to look within herself, look within yourself is what he says, mm -hmm. and then find his old patient, Miss Moffat. He screams at her to go now before Migs can do it again. And she quickly walks down the hall, the inmates thrusting their hands through the bars at her. So I did find it interesting from Hannibal Lecter's point of view that it seemed to me that it was because of Miggs's discourtesy that yes, he, he threw her a bone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He decided to help her. Yeah. And I was a little pissed off because you have all these motherfucking guards watching on fucking screens and yeah. shit. This nobody, happens. Nobody, nobody does anything. Over. Yeah. yeah. Fuck all of them. It's just. And then when Clarice stumbles outside, she's in tears as she's making her way to her car. And it's like, I've. I feel like Chilton disrespected her. Yes. yes. And then just the heightened sense of fear and anxiety and mm -hmm. pressure from Crawford to even fucking be here. And then this cat and mouse game that Lan Lanable, that Lecter is playing and you're trying to hold your own. Yeah. You know what I mean? The one time that you're like, no, but how about you? He's like, no, no, no. Yeah. We were dancing. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. There's so much happening in this moment. And then on your way out, you're fucking, she's sexually assaulted. Yes. Honestly, it's just, it's awful. It's too much to take on. Yeah. Like I, and it made me very sad to see how affected she was by the entirety of it yeah. all. Yes. But she is like ready to continue, yeah. which I can't say I would. The yeah, shit that, that happened that, yeah. in this prison, I would maybe even reconsider doing this. Your yeah. career? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when he told me the perfume that I usually wear, but I'm not wearing it today. Like, I don't know. Do I'm scared. Like yeah. that is fucking oh, yeah. scary. Yeah. But as she makes her way to her car, she's overcome by a memory of her father, played by Jeffrey Lane, pulling up to their family home in his police car. Young Clarice, played by Maria Skorobogatov, rushes to him excitedly. 
He scoops her up and hugs her, both of them greeting each other with their thick West Virginia accents. When we come back to present day, Clarice, she is leaned against her car and sobbing. And Jodie Foster said that the shot of her leaned up against the car crying mm-hmm. was an idea given to her by a female FBI agent. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That sometimes it is just too much and you think that you're okay and at the end of the day you're just slumped against your car yeah. fucking crying and so i mean it is it's very very intense yeah mm-hmm. they really did a lot with their i guess research and interviews and stuff yeah, yeah. to give like real like realism yeah to yeah. a lot of these moments and i just want to say i mean i don't have an exact time written down or anything but this is like 15 minutes into the film yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, this, i mean we are just I feel like immediately we're bombarded with everything and you really don't get a minute yeah. to breathe. And so this isn't a jump scare kind of film or no. it's just this constant dread, this constant darkness, this mm-hmm. constant tension. Like it's mm-hmm. just, it's a lot. And they're, you, they're throwing a lot at us yeah, <laughs> right dude. at the fucking beginning. This to movie's start, almost two yeah. hours long. Well, in all fairness, they're putting us in the shoes of Clarice. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But we cut to Clarice firing at a gun range, training with the other cadets. She does an exercise with another student where they apprehend someone. Just as she goes to arrest the person, the FBI instructor comes up behind her and pretends to shoot her in the head. He commends the other student, but asks Clarice where her danger area is. She says that it's back in the corner, admitting that she didn't even check there. The FBI instructor's like, and that's why you're dead now. Thanks. (laughs) like you're dead president lincoln I mean, you're I, dead. you you have to yeah, understand was, <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand how high the stakes are yeah dude you not peeking into that corner literally is the difference between you're you're alive and you're dead yeah but she just went through some shit she, she did, did. Like, i'm sure that's fucking bothering her but like, i feel like she's still a cadet this shit that she's doing no, for I crawford know, is I on know. the side this isn't and even her it, job in all fairness i don't know that crawford should have given her this assignment yet <laughs> yeah. because she's still got a lot of shit on her plate yeah. she's a cadet like this was it was honestly cruel it was but i mean we'll see how she handled it (laughs) but we see her running with ardelia as the two quiz each other and then she's using a microfiche which we love a microfiche in this house to look up articles on hannibal lecter one reads new horrors in the cannibal trial this made me laugh out loud okay (laughs) okay (laughs) because it says the doctor of death cooked his victims for gourmet meals then serves them to his friends michael ronbaz of the city council among those at the dinner table you didn't have to put my fucking (laughs) name out there you did not need to say that i ate human i didn't do that i didn't kill him i didn't cook him you did not need to put that dude on fucking front street i'm sure i would be i'm suing (laughs) oh yeah i'm sure he had no idea why Name him only. Yeah, like, I was invited. Yeah, I did, I did not cook out no. with him. We weren't man in the grill together. What? Okay, what fucking party is he with? How tra- Who runs the newspaper? Yeah. <laughs> like he ate the man too. <laughs> How traumatizing is it to learn that you ate a person, oh, no. oh, yeah. but then to also be exposed for yeah. unknowingly eating? Of I just thought I was like, y'all did not have to yeah. do him like that. I was laughing. But I've anyway. never eaten a man. Vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> at the election season right it's itself. gone yeah. yeah my opponent eats people <laughs> <laughs> i mean we all seen what happened to uh charlie and d when they Fair. exactly you know, yeah there's no turning back up. no <laughs> find yourself in a morgue wondering what yeah. the fuck happened morgue in a hot plate <laughs> But Ardelia interrupts her research to tell her that Crawford is on the phone for her. As soon as she answers the phone, Crawford tells her that Miggs is dead. 
She asks how, and he explains that Lecter was whispering to him all day and Miggs was crying. At bed check, they found him dead, having swallowed his own tongue. I just have something to say here really quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, No tears for Miggs. No. No, fuck Miggs. Do not give a shit at all. But what I will say is that it is physically impossible to swallow your own tongue. Mm -hmm. Right. The only way that... Unless Hannibal Lecter's whispering to you. Well, it's (laughs) magic. (laughs) I think you can create an airway obstruction with your tongue, Mm -hmm. but it's only if you're unconscious and it slinks back. Ah, okay. So I'm wondering, I'm like, well, what else could have happened to make this happen right did hannibal fucking get in there somehow because otherwise it can't happen yeah well it's a it it adds to the mystique (laughs) i don't know i think it's a research mistake (laughs) also right (laughs) also it's implied that this is the same day yeah yeah so i was like all of that happened to her this morning and she's still out fucking i mean if that dude's like well now you're dead do you know what the fuck happened to me this morning like I can't take the rest of the day off, Crawford. Like, please. See, that's what I'm saying. That's why I was like, dude, she's not focused. She's just oh, no. got some fucked up shit happened. The way that the scenes switch, I mean, you don't know how long it's been. And so I'm assuming this is later and right. she's still in her church. Like, no, this is today. Yeah. But Clarice is rendered speechless, admitting that she doesn't know how to feel. Crawford says she doesn't have to feel anything about it. Lecter only did it to amuse himself. I disagree. Yeah, no. I totally disagree. Yeah. I think it was about disrespect. Yeah. Because he does not like that shit. No. But he says that it did get ugly in there today. This is when I was like, today. Yeah. (laughs) But he asks if there's any follow up on Moffat. Clarice says that Lecter, I'll be like, I've been training all morning, but yeah, yeah I'm, I'm also working on the Moffat thing. What's your fucking job? <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? So you couldn't take me off of this detail and let me just work on what you have me doing? Yes. I've got to do, do both. Yeah, I got to do yeah. all my cadet shit and my own schoolwork and then your shit on the side? It's um, Isn't it enough that I got you the Moffat information? Yeah. You would think. You follow you through. Would think. Right, give me out of PT, please. Yes. Like, I don't... <laughs> Get, write me a note. Yeah. <laughs> But Clarice says that Lecter destroyed most of his patient files before he was caught, so there's no record of her, but she felt like his look inside yourself line was too hokey, which it was. Yeah. Knowing that he's from Baltimore, she looked in the phone book and found a storage facility called Yourself Storage. I just want to say that she would be amazing at Hunt a Killer. Hell yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I never would have fucking no, come up with that. No, not at all. Not a sponsor. No, but yes. please. <laughs> <laughs> But we cut to your self-storage where Mr. Lang, played by Lee Blinsky, tells Clarice that the unit was rented for 10 years under the name Miss Hester Moffat. As she unlocks it, Clarice confirms that nobody's been here since 1980. And Mr. Lang says, yes, privacy is a big concern here. She promises not to disturb anything. And Mr. Lang tries to help her open the stuck door, but they can't get it. He invites her to return tomorrow so that his son can help her. But Clarice asks if his driver, played by George Red Schwartz, could help. And Mr. Lang is like, oh, no, he hates physical labor. (laughs) (laughs) Who likes physical labor? (laughs) (laughs) Also, same. Like, I don't understand why the driver was there. I don't get get any of that interaction. It was kind of hilarious because I was like, like, what? You mean he can't hold this? No. (laughs) Oh, no, he's not going to be doing that. And he stares straight ahead like, don't look up. I'm not going to help you. (laughs) It's like, fuck you. Why are you here? (laughs) He's the driver. (laughs) Clarice goes to her car and gets the jack from her trunk. She's able to open the door a little bit, but it's still stuck. 
She uses Mr. Lang's flashlight to peek into the unit. And before sliding under, she gives him the number for the Baltimore office in case the door falls or anything happens to her. She squeezes her way into the unit, ripping her pant leg and cutting her leg in the process. I want she deserves a break. Yeah. Hell yeah, she like does. now she's got a okay, so she's got her academy stuff. She's got the shit Crawford needs <laughs> her to do. Now she's got to schedule a tetanus shot. Yeah. Like this is it's too much. It's just too I much. I don't have time for all of this. I will say though that that's smart. Her using the jack to open the door because I'm it, not gonna lie. I wouldn't no. never. No, no, no. I'd be like, like, you know what? Hold on, real quick. I yeah. guess I'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Your driver can't. Do <laughs> you said your son will be here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and tomorrow the sun will be out. Tomorrow works. Yeah, tomorrow that's works. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. But the inside of the storage unit is creepy. It's fucking huge. There's a lot of dusty furniture and a big taxidermy bird, which I'd already be like, I'm done. Yeah. Well, isn't a starling a bird? Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it's a little... Uh... I like that. Thank you. But she finally comes to a car covered by a tarp. She removes the tarp and enters the vehicle to find a headless mannequin dressed in elegant clothes sitting next to a photo album. She flips through the album until she hears the door thud. Was it? Did it fall? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was. And dude's just back in the yeah, car. Never- <laughs> <laughs> see, see you tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> like you got it from here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else comes of this. Yeah, no. she just kind of looks over at it and then turns back to her business. Mm-hmm. But she turns her attention to a piece of fabric covering something. When she pulls the fabric off, she reveals a head in a jar. We zoom way in on it, the bloated face with its eyes rolled up to white. So I just want to say everything about this sequence is amazing. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like the tension that you feel, the way the music builds and holds, and mm-hmm. then you see the head in the thing. Yeah. You got the fucking special effects makeup. You've got the production design, yeah, yeah. the cinematography. This is what I'm saying where I'm like, this film is brilliant. Yeah. It is. Like the way that they do, and it's not even that. Honestly, I think that you could play the scene to where it's not as scary as it is. Yeah. But it's fucking horrifying. Yeah. But it but it is scary as shit. And yeah. the fact that she has to go in there alone. Yeah. Nobody's yeah. Like Crawford, can you come with me? Like I yes, found it. The I got thing. the information. Were... I found the storage unit. Can you come with me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you would you would ratchet down the tension if she had a partner. Anyone. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. with her alone, it's like fuck this, yeah. dude. I, if I did that, I'd probably give a little square to pee. When I seen the head, I'd be like, oh, yeah, just, so, enough. <laughs> just enough to be like, oh, that scared yeah. the fuck out of me. And just enough to say, no, I didn't piss on yeah, myself. Yeah, I wasn't full <laughs> pee. Yeah, so, yeah. I had some coffee. I'm yeah. not scared. <laughs> That's fucking terrifying. It is. And then to think if that thud was the door yes. closing, now now you're in I'm here. fucked. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little squirt. Just a wow. little. But it immediately cuts to Clarice pulling up to the asylum in the rain where Barney waits for her. He tells her outside that they're waiting for her inside and he goes in with her. But I thought it was like a meeting or something that she was yeah. going to meet with Chilton. She's meeting with Lecter. Oh, yeah. And I got to admit, I'm very surprised what we learn about this head. Because what I know of Hannibal Lecter, I thought he was pickling it for later. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah. But sitting on the floor outside of Lecter's cell, Clarice confronts him about the truth about Hester Moffat's name. It's an anagram for the rest of me. She assumes this to mean that he rented the unit. In response, the meal tray slams open. Clarice looks inside cautiously, then back into the dark cell where she can't see Lecter at all. Ignoring all the rules that she was given, she reaches inside the tray and finds a clean white towel. She uses it to towel off her hair, thanking him. 
So again, so, he's just he's being kind. Yeah. I got to say that I understand, you know, all the crimes he's committed and everything. Mm-hmm. There is a genuine like goodness yes. yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah. And I really appreciate that, though, because there's nothing to me more annoying than a villain that's just like 100 percent bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like just fully evil. There are a lot of redeeming qualities in Lecter, and that's mm-hmm. what makes him so complex complex and honestly scarier yeah oh yeah because it's like if he was just scary it's like your patients didn't see that your patients didn't see that you were fucking weird and like they didn't report you yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's like no he has to be charming like he values respect and courtesy like it's just he's such an interesting character yeah and i do want to point out like you had said earlier about the cuts and the timing Mm -hmm. this is the same night then Yes. Yeah. yeah. Had, so did, did the FBI find out about this yet? I don't or know. Yeah. Did she rush <laughs> straight why, to yeah. him? That's or? why when Barney was like, they're waiting for you inside, I thought it was, it was a gonna meeting. Be, yes. Yeah, no. Yeah. She's like, Lecter, please. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> She's like, I had to chew my way out of the search. <laughs> <laughs> they left me there. <laughs> but shadowed in his cell, Lecter comments that her bleeding has stopped. How do you... Is he a fucking shark? (laughs) Like, what is happening? I don't know. She starts to ask him how he knew about that, but stops, saying that it was only a scratch. She asks him whose head was in that bottle, but he only invites her to ask him about Buffalo Bill. She asks if he knows anything about Buffalo Bill, and he says that he might if he saw the case file, and she can get that for him. She insists that they talk about Miss Moffat because he wanted her to find that. Lecter says that the head's real name is Benjamin Raspail. He was a patient who had romantic attachments that ran to the exotic, according to Lecter. He says that he didn't kill him. He just tucked him away the way that he found him after he missed three appointments. Clarice asks who killed him if Lecter didn't. And Lecter says that he doesn't know, but that it was really for the best because his therapy was going nowhere. He calls Raspail a garden variety manic depressive, remarking on how tedious he was. He says that he thinks of him as a fledgling killer's first effort at a transformation. Now, in the novel, Benjamin Raspail was a flautist Mm -hmm. um, and Lecter did kill him. Because he enjoyed watching the orchestra and Raspail was the worst flautist. Oh, so he was getting rid of him. Yeah. Right. And then Raspail was attached to Buffalo Bill in another way than it is in the film. It's just, um, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if we're trying to detach Lecter from like this frivolous. It's like, that is a fucking petty reason to kill somebody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so he's just like, it wasn't me, but I did find him. <laughs> well, he was disrespecting the orchestra. <laughs> you're disrespecting music yes and my ears mostly (laughs) (laughs) but he asked what Clarice felt when she saw him and she admits that she was scared and then exhilarated he presumes that she and Crawford like each other because he's helping her further her career but she says she never thought about it like that Lecter says that Crawford is much older than her but does she think that he wants her sexually that he thinks about exchanges between the two of them that he thinks about fucking her I mean my god jeez <laughs> I feel like this is a lot for him yeah. yeah and she calls him on it she shrugs it off saying that that doesn't interest her and frankly it's the kind of thing that Miggs would say he with a smile Lecter counters with not anymore hmm oh yeah 
the lights come on and Lecter thanks Barney quietly. I will say Barney with the dramatic lighting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did they rehearse like, this? Yeah. <laughs> with his cell illuminated now, Clarice sees that his drawings are gone and she asks what happened to them. Lecter says that they were taken as a punishment for Megs. He directs her attention to the other part of his punishment, a TV sitting outside of his cell with the muted evangelist played by Jim Roche preaching. He says that when she leaves, they're going to turn the volume all the way up. I was like, what about the other guys in the That's block? True, yeah. <laughs> like, turn that shit. I didn't do anything. No. <laughs> he says that Dr. Chilton enjoys petty torments. But getting back to the matter at hand, Clarice asks what Lecter meant by transformation. Lecter stands and walks up to the glass. Addressing her by her first name, he tells her that he's been in the cell for eight years. He knows that he's never going to be let out and he wants a view, a window to see a tree or some water. He wants to be in a federal institution far away from Chilton. I don't blame him. No, dude. She asks what he meant by fledgling killer. Does this mean that this person killed again? Turned away from her, Lecter says that he's offering her a psychological profile on Buffalo Bill based on case evidence. He will help her catch them. Clarice gets to her feet and accuses him of knowing who it is. She asks him point blank, who decapitated his patient? He tells her that good things come to those who wait. He's waited, but how long can she get Crawford to wait? He says that Buffalo Bill is already searching for their next special lady. We cut to Memphis, Tennessee, where Catherine Martin, played by Brooke Smith, is minding her own business, driving her car at night. She sings along to Tom Petty's American Girl on the radio until she pulls into the parking lot of her apartment complex. I loved that she was her own backup as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, who I doesn't sing it. like yeah, that? Yeah. No. That's how you do it. Me and yeah. my car. <laughs> I was like, that, that's me? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Make it last all night. Someone, though, watches from afar with night vision goggles, waiting for her to pull in. Her cat greets her from the upstairs window as she gets her groceries out of her back seat and makes her way to her apartment. I was like, the cat. Yeah, I know. That's the saddest part. Yeah. Really? Right. <laughs> <laughs> on her way, she passes Buffalo Bill, played by Ted Levine. With a cast on one arm, they struggle to lift a couch into the back of a van. After watching them drop the couch multiple times and ignoring her own hesitation, never do that. No. Catherine offers to help. They accept the help gladly, thanking her as she sets her grocery bag down and grabs the other end of the couch. Buffalo Bill maneuvers it in a way that has Catherine lifting her end into the truck from the inside. They push the couch in after Catherine and obstruct our view of her as they get into the back of the truck as well. They abruptly ask Catherine if she's a size 14, and when she asks for clarification, they attack her, hitting her until she stops screaming. The music swells as they close the doors of the van. With Catherine now passed out, they check the tag on her coat, muttering, good, when it confirms that she is a size 14. They cut off her shirt, revealing the skin of her back, repeating, good, good as they touch it gently there's a tattoo proclaiming the word love on the webbing of their hand which is like i don't know that's accurate (laughs) they toss her shirt out next to the abandoned grocery bag still sitting in the street and quietly drive the van away we get one last shot of Catherine's cat still waiting for her to come inside. That, yeah. Again, I hope that cat can it call nine one one. Made me want to cry. Well, yeah, <laughs> like, the cat saw her yeah. and they're just waiting. It's so sad. There might have been food that she was bringing right. home. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to make mention of the night vision goggles. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because there's something that if you're not really paying attention, you might even forget. Yeah. yeah. And it's very important. 
But the other thing is, again, I was way too young to be watching this the first time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was very confused. I was like, oh, okay, so they're the size 14 killer. And right. like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck was going on yeah. What at all. does any of this mean? No. And I do want to call out because, again, with a lot of horror films, a lot of times the person that gets the most... I don't want to say credit, but as far as inspiration, mm-hmm. you got Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this, it's Ed, Ed Gein. Gein. yeah. But the arm. this is Ted Bundy's tactic. 100%. Oh, yeah. He would put on a fake cast and be like, can you help me put my surfboard on here? Nah. And then and he'd then, just get yeah. them. I understand helping, but Catherine got in there far. Oh. What, what yeah. was upsetting too is she watched them yeah. and then was like, no. And then was like, do you need help? Like you saw her no, like, yeah. I'm just going to mind my business and go inside. You know what and I think happened? I do think that she saw the cast. Absolutely. Yeah. And then she's like, yeah. well, fuck, yeah. I can't let them. That's why Bundy did it because it fucking worked. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, you could just buy a cast. Oh, yeah. Can you just buy a cast? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You can buy a sling. Oh, that's true. I mean, it's. And that's really all you need. It's scary. That's, yeah. That is all you need. It's honestly horrifying. And I swear it, it, it makes me feel bad because I'm like, okay, well, then I'm not helping anyone at night. Yeah. If you ever. Like wet some newspaper and make it right. into a mold. It's hard, and you can uh, make it into a cast. Uh, Why are you so? He's like, I've done it countless yeah. times. Right. <laughs> Trust me, it's super easy. Are you the size fourteen no. killer? <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's annoying because size fourteen is like. Oh, this the big fat girl or whatever. Like that is really fucking annoying because I think a size fourteen is like an extremely, I'd say average yes, size. Right. Especially it's honestly in America, irritating. It's like, yeah. It, this is a completely. I don't like using the word normal, but this is just an average sized mm-hmm. human. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, the fat girl. Like not right this second, but it comes up later. Yeah, and I'm I didn't like, like oh, that. Yeah, that was harsh. Can with you? The, yeah. <laughs> I don't I'm like it. Yeah. One thing I will say is that they told Brooke Smith after she was cast that to get the role, she would have to gain 25 pounds. You got to be a big fat girl. <laughs> you got to wear a big ass size 14. It's like, what are, I know it's the 90s and like it like was heroin chic. Right. You know what I mean? But I'm like size 14. Good God. Like, well, Jesus. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I like again. I want to say because we're going to get into something a little bit later. I like to think. Uh, in ways that society has evolved past, yes, yes. old ways of thinking and yes. old like standards and shit. Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is you, just another. You ain't seen nothing. No, yeah. because holy shit. In the next scene, Clarice is back to training. This time, boxing when she's called outside, stopping the training for everyone. <laughs> I'm like, can I do yeah. anything? <laughs> Doesn't this look weird? To everybody else. Yes. Oh, See, Clarice. Yeah. Like, oh my god. And that it's it's like a teacher's pet situation. Yeah. Yes. You're calling me out for everybody's gonna fucking hate me. Absolutely. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. I'm getting to do all these field trips. <laughs> <laughs> Ardelia gives her a confused look as she follows the boxing instructor played by James B. Howard outside. Outside, he tells her to pack her things because she's going with Crawford to investigate a girl's body that was found in West Virginia. Unbelievable. The body has been in the water for about a week and they're presuming that it's connected to Buffalo Bill. In Clay County, West Virginia, Clarice flies over the murky waters where the body was found. Next to her, Crawford says that Buffalo Bill keeps their victims alive for three days and they can't figure out why. There's no evidence of abuse prior to them killing the women. Clarice flips through the pictures of mutilation, all of which were performed post-mortem. Crawford says that after three days, Buffalo Bill shoots them, skins them, then dumps them in the river, and the water washes away all of the trace evidence. In the photos, you see like back skin missing. Yes. 
Buffalo Bill got was very excited about Catherine's back skin. Mm-hmm. How much back skin do you need? Yeah. A lot. Like, <laughs> because goddamn, there's not enough back skin. Yeah, they, they've killed I, at I, least five. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. JP, how much back skin did you need? Uh, <laughs> don't answer that. The, the humps, it's, it's incriminating. Yeah. <laughs> My client's not answering any questions. Mm. Clarice looks at a picture of Frederica Bemmel staring lifelessly at the camera with her back completely skinned. Crawford identifies her as the first victim. She was the only one that Buffalo Bill weighed down when they dumped them into the water. So she was the third found despite being the first one killed. Hmm. Crawford accuses Buffalo Bill of getting lazy after the first one. He takes out a map marked with the sites where the victims were taken and where they were found. He points to their current location in West Virginia, where the newest victim has washed up. We cut to them in a car where Clarice still stares at the case file. Crawford asks her what she sees, and Clarice profiles Buffalo Bill as white, citing that serial killers usually hunt in their own ethnic groups. She says they'll have their own house or apartment, giving them the privacy to do what they do. She presumes them to be in their 30s or 40s. They're strong, but cautious and precise. She says that they're never impulsive and they'll never stop because they're getting better at it. Crawford commends her profile. She points out that Crawford hasn't made any comment about the information she obtained from Lecter and asks him if that's really why he sent her to talk to him to try to get information on Buffalo Bill. He just stares back at her and she says that she would have liked to have been in on it if that was the plan. But Crawford counters that if she had come with an agenda, Lecter would have known immediately and he would have just played with her and she wouldn't have gotten anything. He's not wrong. He's not yeah. wrong. I still again, would be annoyed. No, yeah. Yeah. I will say one thing they do that I didn't even realize because you see them, they kind of go all over. Mm-hmm. There's a thing in Tennessee. There's a thing in West Virginia. Yeah. All this stuff, all these different yeah, places. Yeah. They actually, outside of the sets and outside of Quantico, they shot everything in and around Pittsburgh. Huh. <laughs> so it's all one city, but it's doubling for all these yeah, different... Yeah. Interesting. And nice. it's doing well. Yeah. yeah. But they go to a funeral home where there are many people waiting inside. They're brought into a room filled with cops and introduced to Sheriff Perkins, played by Pat McNamara. Crawford thanks Perkins for bringing them in, but the sheriff makes it clear that he's not the one that called them. The state attorney did. Crawford quietly tells him that there are aspects to this crime that he would like to discuss in private. They both eye Clarice, the only woman in the room, before excusing themselves into another room. Again. Yes. Every remaining cop in the room stares at Clarice. So she peeks into the next room filled with mourners and Lamar, played by Tracy Walter, playing the piano. I always think of uh, Drowning Mona. Yes. Whenever I see him. (laughs) I love that movie. There's like so many fucking places to think of this dude. Yeah. Because I was thinking, I I didn't even know this because he played an uncredited role in fucking Serpico. What? Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because if I'm not mistaken, that's the same episode of Sonny that he was on that they spoofed Serpico. Oh. <laughs> he was in yeah. the alley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was doing some things. But he was also on uh, Reno 911, if you recall. Oh, my God. I always thought that he should play like Freddy Krueger's brother or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he, he favors Robert England a lot. But nobody ever let me cast him in anything. <laughs> well, God damn it. <laughs> He also has a daughter, and Danny DeVito is their godfather. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. I thought that was like... That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Might be why it was on Sunny. Huh? Danny DeVito is uh, Ari and Jackson's godfather. Is that, he, he, he can just, just say shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
pretty cool. <laughs> but she walks inside the room and goes straight up to the man in the coffin. And suddenly she's a little girl again. Her father is in the coffin and she approaches and sadly kisses his cheek. She's brought back to reality when Crawford and Perkins come back into the room and they invite her into the room that they just came out of. So it's like we talked business. Now the little girl can come in. Like, that's I, what it, yeah, it's so annoying. It is. I do want to say that they said on commentary, the casting of the little girl that plays young Clarice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They said they didn't want her to look like Jodie Foster because she doesn't. Yeah. yeah. They said, but she suggests Jodie Foster's <laughs> character. <laughs> they said it's she like, is right. young Cl- yeah, Clarice. Yeah. And I was like, well, I guess it's kind of yeah. <laughs> it's just sure. an interesting way to cast someone. But okay. <laughs> but back in the room where it happens, well, Hamilton. Uh, Crawford- I, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Crawford tries to connect a six-way call to different offices as other cops pass around cups of coffee. Clarice gets everyone's attention, thanking them for bringing the victim as far as they have, even saying that her family would appreciate them, but she asks that they leave now and let them handle the rest of it. The men just stare at her blankly. She insists again that they leave, and then they finally do. You find it weird that Crawford's like being all whatever, but then he leaves it to her to clear the room? Yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah. Like... Either I'm the little girl and you the the boys need to go talk about this while I wait outside or I'm conducting this investigation. Like you can't have it both ways because and she brings it up later. Mm-hmm. You doing that yeah. undermines me to everyone. It's it's like. And how do you not realize that? I think he doesn't no, care yeah. or he's not sensitive uh, to it. Do I hate Crawford now? Uh, Crawford. <laughs> Crawford's not Chilton. I fucking okay. hate Chilton. Yeah. But Crawford's, he's not great. You <laughs> he's know, got the they added Chilton to make us like Crawford more. There yeah. you go. Okay. I'll so take there you that. Go. And I'm, I was going to wait until then, but I'm glad you said that because I was glad that they added that in the movie. Yes. That she said something yes. because it's like, Say something to him. Yes. Because he might be your boss, but you are doing something together. Yeah. So that's still stop your partner. Drag, stop yes. dragging you know me I mean? out of my that's, training. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not either, I'm me. like you said, either we're equals mm-hmm. or let me go back to doing what the fuck I was doing. Yeah. And who's the only one making progress on this case? It, well, literally. Is. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So let that with some goddamn respect. Yeah. Yes. But with the room cleared and only Clarice Crawford Lamar, Agent Ray Terry, played by Chuck Aber, and Dr. Aiken, played by Kenneth Utt, remaining, Crawford takes out a small container of menthol and smears it thick under his nostrils. Kenneth Utt is the producer of the film. Ah, that's great. They did a lot of like strange casting where it's just people they knew that's cool. or had around. <laughs> yeah. There's one cameo that is like, what is this? Yeah. Well, yes. we'll, we'll get to that yeah, later. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. But he tosses the menthol to Agent Terry, who does the same, putting it under his nose, and he gives it to Clarice, who takes it and turns her back to the group. Lamar unzips the body bag and flings it open, causing the group to collectively wince. Crawford calls Clarice's name, causing her to turn and reveal that she's also spread the menthol under her nose. I always remembered this wrong. You were saying that we were talking about the film last week and you said that. I thought her turning away was so that she could pretend that she was putting it on. Yeah. And she's like, no, I'm going to see what this fucking smells like. But no, she's got it. Yeah, no. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) So I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) She reports the markings on the body, speaking into a tape recorder. She mentions a star-shaped entrance wound with a muzzle stamp on the body's sternum. When Dr. Aiken says the term wrongful death, she repeats it into the recorder. Dr. Aiken says that Clarice is going to need to go to the state pathologist before excusing himself to get back into the service because there's a literal funeral happening in the next year. Yes, dude. They snap photos of the body as Crawford prompts Clarice to tell him what she sees. 
Clarice assumes that the victim isn't local, referring to the three piercings in her ears and her glitter nail polish. It's so funny that this town is a place where nail polish is like, oh, you're not from around yeah. here. <laughs> it's just funny. But I wonder, it feels like something that Clarice... Well, she's from West Virginia. Yeah. 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 Like, they don't know. Yeah. They would have never even come to this conclusion. True. Yeah. We get a close-up on the victim's bloated hands as Clarice reports two broken-off fingernails and dirt or grit under the rest of them. She assumes that the victim tried to claw away from something. Agent Terry gets photos of her teeth as Lamar holds the victim's mouth open. Clarice looks at the photos and immediately says that there's something in the victim's throat. Lamar says that when bodies come out of the water, there's usually leaves or something in the throat, but Agent Terry goes in anyway. Taking a pair of tweezers, he explores the victim's mouth. After a moment, he finally pulls out something that Lamar identifies as a bug cocoon. Now, this was partially made out of a uh, Tootsie Roll. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens, I knew it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciated the... I guess amount of restraint yeah with showing this body that they had yes yeah because they really just show just enough oh yeah because and, and it's so effective because when you do see it it's disturbing because yeah. it's not gratuitous no but Lamar says that there's no way that that naturally got stuck in her throat Clarice takes that to mean that someone shoved it in there they bottle the cocoon preserving it in solution when they turn the victim over to print her they notice two huge diamond shaped pieces of skin that were removed from her back that are different to Buffalo Bill's usual work and Agent Terry rushes to get pictures. They had talked about on the special effects because they said when you remove a layer of skin, mm -hmm. there's that layer of adipose underneath. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, how do we fucking mimic what fat looks like underneath the skin? Tootsie Rolls. No. <laughs> <laughs> they used pastini and KY jelly. Well, so they just boiled right. up some pasta. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of films where KY jelly comes in clutch. Honestly. Yeah. And they use a lot of condoms a lot of the time, too. Yeah. Tom Savini is like, throw a condom <laughs> But in the car after the autopsy, Crawford tells Clarice that he noticed how much him telling the sheriff that he couldn't talk in front of her bothered her, but it was just to get the sheriff out of the room. Clarice says she understands this, but like we said earlier, stuff like that matters because the cops look to him to know how to act. Crawford seems to be receptive and then just leans back in his seat to take a nap as Clarice continues to report her findings into the tape recorder. Did that bother anybody else? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm working my fucking yes, yeah. ass off. Well, what did you say? Uh, <laughs> noted. Yeah. Like, oh, all right. He's like, He's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's blowing a leaf up and down. <laughs> it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Why is everyone so unprofessional? <laughs> But Clarice reports <laughs> ligature marks on the victim's wrist, but not her ankles, and indications that the skinning took place post-mortem <laughs> while Crawford dozes on it. Yeah. <laughs> In the next scene, Clarice walks past an impressive dinosaur exhibit at a museum into a room where Rodin, played by Dan Butler, and Pilcher, played by Paul Lazar, sit and play chess with bugs as the pieces. That's not going to stay there, man. It's no. not. It's not. But after a greeting, she hands over the cocoon. Pilcher immediately asks if it's connected to Buffalo Bill, but Clarice won't give out any more information. 
I got to be honest, man. If you were asked, like, in your, like, level of expertise in whatever field yeah. to help in a murder investigation, yeah. I'd be as, as excited as they are. Well, yeah. Rodin. Oh, yeah. That's fucking cool. Rodin says that they already heard about the case on the radio, and they're thrilled to be holding a real clue to <laughs> the case. I would be, too. Yeah. yeah. Hunt a killer. Yes. <laughs> Call us. Yes. They crowd around Rodin as he uses a scalpel to make small incisions in the cocoon, causing an amber-colored substance to ooze out of it. Pilcher takes this chance to shoot his shot, (laughs) asking Clarice if she ever goes out for cheeseburgers and beer. When she point-blank asks him if he's hitting on her, he's like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciated his honesty. I did too, and this came across, I feel like... I don't know if it's like a power dynamic situation, but Chilton was extremely slimy mm-hmm. and just disgusting to me. But this, I was like, oh man, like he tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and even Clarice seemed playful. Yeah. Yes. She I think wasn't, that's the difference. You know. But Rodin breaks up the awkwardness by successfully identifying the inhabitant of the cocoon. He introduces Clarice to the death's head moth. He says that they only live in Asia. This would have had to have been raised here, carefully fed honey and nightshade and kept warm. He says that someone loved this moth. That's good, right? I would say so. <laughs> the mo- I mean, right? Yeah, dude. I, I, Moth had a good home. Yeah. yeah good motherfucker life. was eating honey. <laughs> nightshade? nightshade, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I Sounds would like delicious. some yeah, of this. <laughs> I'd also like this nightshade. <laughs> it's probably poison. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Well, Nightmare Before Christmas, I think it was poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she knocked his ass out. Yeah. So maybe just the honey. Yeah, the yeah there you go. Good. Honey, I'll take. But we abruptly cut to a makeshift basement slash operating room slash moth nursery. We glide past moths flittering around and kept in terrariums, past an empty operating table with knives set up next to it, down the hall into a separate room full of mannequins, all decked out in nice clothes and standing in front of floor length mirrors. So I love this steady cam shot yes. all the way through, gliding through. I did want to talk about the moths very quickly. Mm-hmm. Ray Mendez was the moth man, I guess you could say. <laughs> moth man. Did he have a donk on him yeah. too? <laughs> yeah, he had to. He was sitting down for the interview. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get called moth man yeah, if you, without you don't got cake. He's like, uh, that's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> but the cool thing about him is that he was also the roach wrangler on Creep Show. Oh. No shit. <laughs> yeah, so he's had some yeah. great experiences. He's our butt guy. Yeah. He had said that I guess they had tried to get a lot of those death's head moths. I think they they said they're in Asia, right? Right. Yeah. They they had an issue getting them, so he painstakingly hand painted a lot of the skulls on the back oh, of these moths. Wow. Yeah. And they're all like attached to like little strings, and so he was able to control where they fly, how they land in the shots, yeah, everything. Like, and the thing that I'd said about the Creepshow episode, which was episode one, if you can believe that, yeah, they had said, (laughs) 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 I cannot. They take animal safety very seriously on film sets, and that includes cockroaches, moths. That's crazy. So he told them like from time to time, he's like, hey, and this sounds funny, but it's legitimate. He's like, hey, we need to take a break from filming. The moth needs rest. <laughs> and so people were like, the moth. He goes, yes. Right. I- Where's the honey? Yeah. Exactly. Some honey, a light bulb. Yeah. Some nightshade or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so they would take breaks Aww. to allow the moth to All rest. Right. Then he would fly around a little bit more. Yeah. It was very interesting. To see, and I don't know how you get this gig. How yeah, do you know? You know how right? do you know when the moth is tired? He wiped sweat. <laughs> from, okay, cut. Yeah, the moth <laughs> was fanning himself with his wings. <laughs> Give him a break. <laughs>
But we hear Catherine screaming to be let out as Buffalo Bill sits in a chair using a sewing machine. Catherine continues to scream, but they ignore her, humming along to the music that they're listening to. A small white dog, Precious, played by a dog named Darla, (laughs) barks as she runs past and we follow her down another hall where she looks down the edge of a well. I just want to say something very quickly about Darla. Sadly, she passed away the year after this film came out. That's sad. But she was 17 years old. Holy shit. Uh, So I guess 16 when this came out. But she was also in Batman Returns. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Burbs and John Paul Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Hey, there you so go. Darla's a little badass. Yeah. I just want to shout her out for a second. Get this dog on the Walk of Fame. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Get a little, a little paw print. Print. <laughs> But Catherine's voice gets louder as we approach, but we abruptly cut away from the gloominess of the basement back to Quantico in the middle of the day. In the building, Clarice and Ardelia walk into an area with the TV. The TV anchorman, played by Abba Babatunde, is reporting on Catherine Martin's disappearance. She's the daughter of a senator and is presumed to have been taken by Buffalo Bill. They show her picture on the screen and, of course, I mean, it's Tom Petty Girl. Catherine. Her shirt has been found sliced up the back, which has been a calling card of Buffalo Bills. The reporter continues that Catherine is the only daughter of a Republican junior senator from Tennessee. And although her kidnapping hasn't been found to be politically motivated, it is causing a stir in the government. The president is even quoted as being, quote, intensely concerned. Well, (laughs) it is intensely concerned. (laughs) Sending thoughts and prayers. Well, well, I mean, well, Senator, that's what y'all give us. That's all they can do. (laughs) (laughs) But more cadets gather in front of the TV, causing Clarice and Ardelia to push their way to the front. Catherine's mother, Senator Ruth Martin, played by Diane Baker, pleads to Buffalo Bill, telling them how gentle and kind Catherine is. She says that the person holding her is in charge and that they must feel love and compassion toward her. They can show the world that they can be merciful and treat her daughter better than the world has treated them. As she speaks, a slideshow of Catherine as a child and a baby scrolls. Clarice stares at the screen as Senator Martin continues to plea, reminding the kidnapper that her daughter's name is Catherine. Ardelia remarks that that's a smart tactic, repeating Catherine's name, and Clarice co-signs that if she can get Buffalo Bill to see Catherine as a person and not an object, it will be harder for them to do what they do. There's also language used by Buffalo Bill later that plays into that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the way of object versus person. Yeah. And it's like, honestly, that is a very good tactic. Yeah. yeah. They is. say, like, honestly, with, I think, anybody that's kidnapped or held captive or whatever, mm-hmm. if you just keep reminding them of your humanity, yeah. it kind of sets something off in yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, depending on the person. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. We cut to Chilton at the asylum, angrily following Clarice into the cell block. He's mad that she's conducting her third interview with Lecter and not sharing the results with him. He's mad she wouldn't go out with <laughs> Yeah, him. that's what's really going on. <laughs> yeah. Let's be clear. Fettuccine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she assures him that this is just a routine follow-up on the Benjamin Raspail case, but Chilton insists that he has rights to his own patient. When he blocks her way, she gives him the number to the U.S. attorney and insists that he let her do her job. Yes, bitch. And she pushes past him. <laughs> I'm like, she's fucking working on behalf of the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. If this was Crawford walking in here, you would not be fucking yeah. hassling him no. like this. Well, Crawford went on a date with him. <laughs> <laughs> Crawford knows how to play the yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> 
Outside of his cell, Clarice tells Lecter that if his profile on Buffalo Bill can save Catherine, Senator Martin has promised him a transfer to a VA hospital in New York. He'll still be in maximum security, but he'll have access to books. And for a week every year, he'll get to go to Plum Island. He can walk on the beach or even swim in the ocean for up to an hour under SWAT team surveillance. Well, of course. course. Yeah. <laughs> let's not, let's no. not make this too you know, crazy. I mean, you can eat all the plums you want. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great deal, honestly. He stares at her as she puts Buffalo Bill's case file and Senator Martin's offer into his meal tray. She tells him that the offer is final, and if Catherine dies, he doesn't get anything. After taking a quick glance at the paper and seeing that Plum Island is home to an animal disease research center, Lecter remarks sarcastically that it sounds charming. (laughs) She says that that's only part of the island, but Lecter flips the script, saying that if he helps her, he's expecting quid pro quo. If he tells her things about this case, she tells him things about herself. I'm sorry. I know that Crawford told her not She's to do been that. Told yeah. Not to do that. Yeah. But this is a great deal. It is. Yeah. But it's also not. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, not, it's also very dangerous. It's, yeah. yeah it's true. not for Clarice. Yeah. I mean, for the FBI as a whole, it's a great deal. Yeah. And what's like, tell me about one of your cadets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've kind of overpowered Hannibal Lecter because she can't lie to him because you know somehow he'll know. Yeah. yeah. So it is. I mean, it's not. It's not great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> But in regards to the quid pro quo, that's hard to say, (laughs) agreement, he tells her to hurry up and answer yes or no because Catherine's waiting. Clarice agrees to the arrangement and he immediately asks her her worst childhood memory. She answers quickly, the death of her father. He asks her to tell him about it, warning that he will know if she lies. (laughs) It's like, okay, great. Yeah, Yeah, like how though? (laughs) (laughs) He knew about the perfume. I mean, I'm not, I get it. And you know, in all fairness, I don't even, I could see him not knowing if she uh-huh. lied yeah. but he's so intimidating exactly yeah. <laughs> i would be like okay i'm not gonna lie to this yeah. dude clarice says that he was the town marshal and one night he caught burglars coming out of a drugstore and they shot him he wasn't killed outright though he lived for more than a month she tells him that her mother died when she was little so her father was everything to her he died when she was 10 and he left her with nothing lector says that she's very frank and it would really be something to get to know her in real life Clarice reminds him of their quid pro quo agreement and Lecter asks if the West Virginia victim was a larger girl. Clarice says that, yes, all of the victims were. She tells him that something was shoved into her throat and struck with inspiration. Lecter asks if it was a butterfly. Okay, I got to be honest here for a second. There is no way for him to guess. (laughs) (laughs) It could have been anything. I think they've kind of... Hannibal Lecter is a little OP. (laughs) 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 Like, there's no fucking way he would know that. But I, I thought that too, but I was like, oh, well, all right. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing is I, sh- I shrug it off. Because well, yeah, like, he's yeah, I was like, that's really on the nose, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the way he says it, it's like he's been ruminating on yeah. it for a while. I'm like, how? Yeah. <laughs> but Clarice says that it was a moth, just like the one that was found in Benjamin Raspell's head an hour ago. She asks him why Buffalo Bill does that, and Lecter says that the moth symbolizes change. Buffalo Bill wants to change, too. Clarice, using outdated terminology, assumes this to mean a desire for Buffalo Bill to change genders. But Lecter changes the subject abruptly, asking her what happened after she was orphaned. After a moment of hesitation, she says that she went to live with her mother's cousin on a ranch in Montana. They raised sheep and horses, and she lived there for two months before she ran away. 
Is this whenever, because he's asking for more of her life story, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's like, and don't just stare down at your second rate shoes. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what the fuck? You're knocking her outfit twice? I'm like, are you Joan Rivers three the fucking fashion police? <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I already forgave you for knowing about the butterfly. But yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is beyond the pale. Good Lord. Lecter asks her why she ran away, presuming that there was sexual abuse at the hands of the husband she was living with. I think he's trying to rattle her. Yeah. yeah. But she says no and reminds him quid pro quo. He tells her the names of three centers that perform gender affirming surgery. He presumes that Buffalo Bill would have applied and been rejected by one or all of them. And Clarice asks why they would reject them. We cut to Chilton, listening in on their conversation in his office. Lecter explains that it's because Buffalo Bill is not transgender. They were abused as a child, and their hatred of their own identity has made them want to change their sex. But their pathology is deep and dark. They weren't born a violent criminal. They were made one. Now, if we can sidebar. Yes. Now, before we sidebar, I just want to call out that I really love the window shot where he's the reflection and looking at her and they're having yes. that discussion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing shot. Amazing cinematography. How did Chilton bug them? Uh, I don't know. I don't Maybe know. he put yeah. something in her bag. I don't know. Fuck, Fuck that guy. you. I know. Yeah. I hate him so much. He put something in her second rate shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this line is horrible. Incredibly problematic. And I never, I think it never really hit me until watching it this time. Yeah. But I was like, hold on. Like I rewound it. Cause I was like, yeah, I didn't remember this aspect of it. No. I think the thing that gets me the most is that from both research and conversations with friends of mine, identity and gender, it's the importance is self-identification. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if Buffalo Bill is saying that they're trans, exactly. they're trans. Exactly. It's not a matter of Hannibal Lecter being like, well, no, not really. You have no say yeah. in that. And, and it, it's not only Lecter, it's... Crawford at some point like everybody's like oh no 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 they're just deeply disturbed not only is that incredibly problematic and damaging to really the entire transgender community Mm -hmm. because I feel that's a way to write people off who are only wanting to affirm physically who they are inside right Mm -hmm. so the fact again yeah I'll just say represent and this it's it's almost kind of hard I think to really put into words what I'm trying to say, but representation is important. Mm -hmm. And I feel that it's important to show that every type of human being, regardless of race, gender identity, um, sexual orientation, they have the capacity to be good and to be bad. Mm -hmm. We've covered films where there's been a woman killer and I'm like, hell yeah, yes, make the woman (laughs) a killer. Like it's exciting for me. Yeah. But the problem is when the representation of you of you or of any group of people is only the villain is only the unhinged person the black person's only the token character that dies in the first act do you know what i mean yeah Yeah, like well that's the issue because there's no problem with somebody being cast as a villain or being written as a villain to me that's exciting i want everybody to get every kind of treatment mm -hmm. i want everybody to be the hero i want everybody to be the villain i want everybody to be everything in between yeah Mm -hmm. but the issue is especially at this time the only portrayal that we get of transgender people is this unhinged person right and that it's just incredibly damaging because it leads a lot of people who don't 
have a broad understanding of different groups of people to meet someone that they've only seen portrayed in this way and be like, oh, it's blank. Or, yeah, oh, yeah. they're blank just like this character I want. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's problematic, not only for the reason of representation, but because that's just a damaging sentiment. Buffalo Bill can identify as another gender and they can also be a serial killer those two things can happen at the same time yeah. well you oh. heard what Clar- even what clarice said is problematic oh that they're usually passive yeah yeah, yeah. you can't you can't say that about any group of humans human no, beings we're all we every type of human has the capacity to, to be, both. be anything yeah <laughs> so i mean i feel like and, and that's why i've chosen in the script and y'all have yeah to refer to buffalo bill and gender neutral pronouns because i don't think that the way it's written in the movie is meant to be as damaging as it is if that makes sense i think that they're simply coming at it from a place of ignorance right yes yeah that's what what i'm saying i don't think it's on purpose i don't think that they set out and even jonathan demi and ted levine Mm -hmm. who plays buffalo bill have said no that they didn't like that's that wasn't the intention of the character Mm -hmm. but i mean i feel like to me when i was watching this as a kid or when i was watching this when i was younger this is an ed gein situation absolutely i think ed gein was trying to become his mother Mm -hmm. and so when you talk about oh buffalo bill was made this way and a deep dark past tell me that past make him trying to be his mom don't be like oh they think they're trans but they're not what i think you yeah. have, you would come up with more of a norman bates situation yes yeah. yes which in all in all fairness i mean when you think about it there's a lot of people in the audience that could see this and still get the wrong idea and negative connotation mm-hmm. right. of what is depicted right i do think that when you look at it as an ed gein stand-in yeah. right, right i don't even think that this exploration of gender or discussion of it was even necessary that's my yeah. point I because feel you like... can literally just have it be that it's like ed gein yeah, yeah. i feel like if we yeah. it's it's when you you pepper in this unnecessarily and we talked about it briefly with insidious chapter two yeah it's unnecessary and if you're going to do it take the time to to do it in a way that is respectful and at least makes sense yeah like for a (laughs) film we were talking about it earlier today it's so precise it's so clean it's brilliant as we've talked about this is so clumsy and i don't want to say lazy but I'll say ill-informed. Right. I think the issue with it is that it is lazy and clumsy in a way that, like you're saying, where everything else is so calculated, everything else is so orchestrated, Mm -hmm. that when you have this moment, you're like, wow, not only is this clumsy, but you're falling into all these tropes and like horrible stereotypes that only help to marginalize and hurt a community. Exactly. So it's like, you know... I understand a lot of people will say, well, you're looking at it with 30 years of hindsight. Right. But people did protest this at the time that it came out because it was not the correct way to go about exploring these themes. Right. And I mean, I think canonically Buffalo Bill is supposed to be male. Right. And so I I just didn't feel comfortable using those pronouns. No, that makes sense. So if anybody's like, why the fuck is she talking like that? And that's why. Yes. And from what I read in the novel, they say that they do give more detail on that backstory. Mm -hmm. But what we get in the film, that's it just it simply doesn't work for me. Um, Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, (laughs) because I was like, 
hold the phone. Like yeah. I was surprised. Because I think otherwise this might be a perfect. Hell yeah. yeah. It 100% is to me. Yeah. But I was like, God damn it. That's so that's so problematic and yeah and I don't, I don't like throwing and, yeah. around the word problematic because no. I feel like it's such a like meme word to say but it's it's um damaging it's yeah. it's dangerous mm-hmm. I'll say that and I've read a lot of essays about this film from people in the community that uh-huh. it was damaging to them I'm sure I so it's yeah. like you know it really sucks yeah yeah and I it hurts yeah and it hurts the film yeah but not to you know yeah sidebar over (laughs) we go back to buffalo bill's house where they look down at Catherine in the well as they hold darla they say the iconic line it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again Catherine only pleads staring up at them that whatever they want her family will pay it in cash when this does nothing Catherine puts on the lotion but tells them that her mother is very important Buffalo Bill extends a basket down to her, telling her to put the lotion in the basket. But again, it puts the lotion in the basket, instructing her as though she's not a person, you know. It she's really like a a coat hanger right now. Yeah. Yeah. She's holding skin. Yeah, Yeah. no, literally. You know? And also I do want to point out that I did not get this when I was a kid with the lotion bit. But the implications of no, you need to preserve that. Yeah. Because it needs to be perfect and yeah. proper no and we're about self-care in this house i guess yeah. you gotta take care of that stuff yeah. <laughs> are you drinking your eight glasses no <laughs> but Catherine sobs and pleads and buffalo bill seems affected by this yes struggling to keep their voice composed as they ask her to do it again Catherine sobs that she wants to see her mommy and choking back tears. Buffalo Bill screams at her to put the fucking lotion in the basket. We hear Precious begin to bark as Catherine does as she's told. As the basket rises, she sees bloody claw prints on the walls. And when she sees a broken fingernail, she snaps, screaming hysterically. Buffalo Bill screams back at her, mocking her. So I was like, well, you know, Catherine is starting to chip away at Buffalo Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like fighting the emotions. Which yeah, yeah. Great performance, oh by my the way. God, oh, yeah. Incredible. There's such nuance and depth to Buffalo Bill. I yeah. think that's why I just wanted more. Yes. But the mocking, I was like, oh, no, you're just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping. Oh, I like, I like that. Like, we're going <laughs> to swing the pendulum yeah. the other yeah. way. I was like, oh, <laughs> n- now you're overcompensating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But back at the asylum, okay, Chilton lies down casually in Hannibal Lecter's bed as he plays with his pen. Barney stands with Lecter, who's completely restrained. Chilton laughs that Lecter's been scammed. There's no deal with Senator Martin. He tells Barney to wait outside, and reluctantly, Barney does. Chilton stands up and goes over to Lecter, still talking shit, saying that there is a deal now, but Lecter's eyes immediately dart to the pin that Chilton left on his bed. Damn right. You oh fucker. <laughs> All the rules that you hand out. Yeah. I hate him. I and just hate him so much. Would, yeah, he's the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I would also like to point out that the pin is solid gold. <laughs> so it's not even like you could miss it. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Also, I, honestly, watching this when he's like, there was no deal. You've been scammed. I thought he was lying. Yeah. And this pisses me off probably more than anything. <laughs> yeah. In all honesty. That he got to like hold this over yeah. him. Yeah. But Chilton says that he made the deal working in some conditions for himself. 
Lecter has to identify Buffalo Bill by name. And if it's in time to save Catherine, he'll be transferred to Brushy Mountain State Prison in Tennessee. The entire time that Chilton is talking, Lecter's staring at the fucking pen. Yeah, like uh, look just, at his eyes. If you, yeah. would, if you would just stop fucking going on and on and monologuing mm-hmm. to this dude yeah. and just look, oh, I dropped my pen. Like, no, how you're is, too up your own ass. Can yeah. I ask how fucking Chilton is coming off like a supervillain, but Hannibal Lecter <laughs> <laughs> is literally <laughs> killing and eating people but i'm like yeah get the pen get yeah. it <laughs> but chilton gets in lector's face and tells him to answer him or he's never gonna leave this cell he asks point blank who is buffalo bill lector says that their first name is lewis but he'll tell the rest to senator martin in person and in tennessee and he has a few stipulations of his own Chilton storms out of the cell, telling Barney to get Lecter cleaned up and ready to go. Back at Quantico, the FBI director, played by Roger Corman. Roger Corman. I, know. <laughs> I was like, why does this dude keep popping yeah. up? <laughs> Apparently, him and Demi like work together a lot. How funny. And oh, I was nice. like, that is so cool. Yeah. But he calls Crawford to let him know that Lecter's being transferred and asks if he really had a trainee give Lecter a fake offer in Senator Martin's name. I was like, Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> I was fucking pissed. Crawford says that he had to, and the director lets him know that the senator is pissed. She's having a man named Paul Krenler, played by Ron Vauter, take over the case in Memphis. Why would they lie? Yeah, <laughs> with, just... with no clearance for any, from anybody else. No, like, yeah. when you when you at least contact the senator Something. and be like, "Look, we have a plan." Or I mean, his superior and yes. be like, "Look, dude, yeah. I, I'm gonna run a hell mary. You gotta stay, yeah. you gotta stay with me." Did okay. So did they think that he wouldn't take the deal? <laughs> Is that no. why they did it? It just makes no sense. And then whenever Corman calls him on it, he's like, "Fuck!" Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Dude, how'd you find out yeah. about that, dude?" Oh, my God. That night at the Memphis International Airport, sirens blare as cop cars race to a hangar. With a mask and a straight jacket, Lecter is removed from his plane. He's on like a dolly. Yeah. Like he's he's tied up. So this is one of the most iconic situations. Yes. It's been parodied. We just saw it in The Simpsons. Yeah. 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 We were watching it last night. I heard from Colleen Atwood, who was the costume designer. Mm -hmm. She said they went through so many masks. And one of them, a lot of them were like fencing masks. Yeah. Uh, one of them kind of looked like a beekeeper situation. Um, <laughs> didn't really work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they said that they saw this one and when it was shipped to them, it looked exactly like this. It was raw fiberglass and they had wanted to go take it in for painting. But she's like, look, it looks like leathery skin. It does. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah, it does. And that's what we get in the film. Oh, it looks good. It's perfect. It, yes. Yeah. But Lecter is greeted by Lieutenant Boyle, played by Charles Napier, who promises to treat him as good as he treats them. Chilton rolls up and is handed paperwork to sign to make the transfer official. But when he reaches in his coat pocket for his pen, it's not there. Okay. I just want to ask really quickly. I know that Hannibal Lecter is like a superhero. Right. Are you asking how? Yes, yeah. because he's been in a straitjacket for, I would say, 14 he hours. Told, yeah. He told Barney to get him cleaned up. So maybe he was let out. Maybe and he changed he, his yeah. clothes. Yeah. I mean, who the f- I don't know. Man. I don't know. Dude, you've already got him in this getup. Like, fucking just get a rag and wipe his face a little. <laughs> <laughs> a little spit. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> you don't need to free him. Yeah. Uh, well, I know I wanted him to get it. So never yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Boyle hands him his pen to use, but Lecter just stares at Chilton. 
I'd be like, when was the last? Oh, I was using it in his bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude. Why is he so horrible? <laughs> and he sucks. Yeah. Uh, and wouldn't you know? It, the second I'd be like, search him. Oh yes. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. But no. Senator Martin arrives with Paul Crindler and approaches Lecter slowly as he's wheeled over to her. Chilton snidely introduces them, and Senator Martin tells him that she brought an affidavit to guarantee him his new rights. She invites him to read it before they all sign it, but Lecter says that he's not going to be petty and waste time because Clarice Starling and Jack Crawford have wasted too much of Catherine's time already, and he hopes that they haven't doomed her. I mean... He's like, yeah, right the wow. fuck under the bus. Giving there in first and yeah. last. <laughs> <laughs> That's C-R-A-W. <Yeah. laughs> He says that they need to get moving now and they can get to the rest of it later. He tells her that Buffalo Bill's real name is Lewis Friend. Benjamin Raspail referred Lewis Friend to him in April or May of 1980 and he only met with him once. He says that Lewis and Benjamin were lovers, but Benjamin had become afraid of him because Lewis murdered a woman and did things to her skin. Now, <laughs> hmm. I'm not saying that this is a fake name. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What sucks is the but second. I am saying that it sounds like a thing. <laughs> yes. The second that he said it, I was like, well, we, you know, obviously we know it's probably not true, but it's the conviction with which he says it. Yeah. I believe he would have tricked me. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, Lewis yes, friend, write that down. You got it. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Senator Martin winces at the prospect of Lewis friend doing things to the victim's skin. And Krindler asks for a description and an address. Abruptly, Lecter asks the senator if she breastfed Catherine. Krindler's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. <laughs> he, try he tries to stop this line of questioning. You don't have to answer that. Yeah. But Senator Martin says that she did nurse Catherine. Lecter asks if it toughened her nipples. And this is the line for Krindler. Well, yeah. He's done. Lecter calmly tells the senator that if you cut a man's leg off, he can still feel it tickling. When Catherine's body is on the slab, where will it tickle her? I was like, God <gasps> damn. Yeah. <laughs> senator Martin tells them to take this thing back to Baltimore and walks away. But he calls after her. <laughs> Five foot, five foot ten, strongly built, about 180 pounds, blonde hair, pale blue eyes, about 35 years old. They claim to have lived in Philadelphia, but that could have been a lie. Calling the senator mom, mm -hmm. he says that that's all he remembers, but he'll let her know if there's more. She starts to walk away again. He's like, oh, <laughs> senator, love your suit. <laughs> it's not second rate, right? No. He's like, that's the type of shit yeah. I, need I need to talk to Clarice. So I Where think do you Oh, where did you get that? <laughs> One of my favorite things about Hannibal Lecter is his ability to say something completely out of pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Then realize it, it and then reel it back in to get your attention because he was he's like i bet it made your nipples nice and hot uh five foot five it's <laughs> like dude he's like okay more, more, more. <laughs> sorry sorry about 180 pounds i was like come on dude it's <laughs> he's like all right all right that yeah, was sorry 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 <laughs> it was just it made me laugh out loud we cut to Chilton being interviewed by the press outside of the Shelby County Courthouse. He said that Lecter agreed to help the senator, but it was only through his own insight into Lecter that any of this was possible. When asked for Buffalo Bill's real name, Chilton says it's on record with the proper authorities, but is happy to boldly give his own. <laughs> Dr. Frederick Chilton. It's funny because he's like, C-H-I. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. You asshole. I hate him. Yeah. I 
hate him so much. <laughs> now make sure you spell it correctly. Yeah. In the background, Clarice goes past and into the courthouse. The sergeant at the desk asks if Clarice is with Chilton's group because access is strictly limited to Lecter. They've been receiving death threats. After a moment, he tells Clarice to sign in and check her weapon. Krindler walks by, surrounded by press, and Clarice lowers her face until he's gone. She checks her weapon and logs in. I'd be like, why were you hiding from him? Yeah. <laughs> she clearly was. Nobody's observant of nope. this, man. In the elevator, she tries to make anagrams with the name Lewis Friend, but Officer Murray, played by Brent Hinckley, interrupts to ask if it's true that Lecter is some kind of vampire. I just want to point out that Brent Hinckley played the Seidler, the Seidler on, on Seinfeld. Seinfeld yeah. yeah, My dead tooth? <laughs> <laughs> that was mean. Clarice says that there's no name for what Lecter is. Before gaining access to Lecter, Lieutenant Boyle asks if she knows the rules, and she says yes. I know them. I don't follow them, but I, I do know them. I'm aware of them, yes. He hands her a large rolled-up portfolio and gains her access. Lecter is being kept in a cage in the middle of the room. When she approaches, the officer guarding him walks away. With his back to her, reading a book, he greets her. Good evening, Clarice. She sets the portfolio next to his cell, telling him that she thought he'd like to have his drawings back to hold him over until he gets his view. You don't deserve drawings. No. <laughs> the way you just showed your ass out there. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> Lecter asks if Crawford sent her here for one last jab before they're both kicked off the case. But Clarice says that she came because she wanted to. Lecter finally turns to face her and muses that people will think they're in love. He tells her that the island was a nice touch and asks if that was her input. And she says yes. And he commends her again. That hurt my feelings. Yeah. I did I not want her knew. to know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think she did either. They were keeping her in the dark on so much shit. Yeah. yeah. I had hoped that they. No. He imitates the ticking of a clock, saying that it's a shame about Catherine. Clarice tells him that his anagrams are showing. She lowers her voice, identifying Lewis' friend as an anagram of iron sulfide. Fool's gold. <laughs> Again, this bitch is a fucking yeah. genius. <laughs> Lecter says that she just needs to get more fun out of life. She says that he was telling the truth back in Baltimore and asked for more of it. Lecter says that he's read the case file and everything needed to find Buffalo Bill is right in there. He ponders, asking her what Buffalo Bill does. Clarice says that they kill women, but Lecter says that that's the wrong answer. The killing is incidental. What is the first thing they do? What does the killing serve? Clarice guesses anger, acceptance, sexual frustration. Lecter says no. Buffalo Bill covets. That's their nature. He asks how we begin to covet. We covet what we see every day. He asks her if she feels the eyes moving over her body. Doesn't her eyes seek out what she wants? She asks him how to do it, and he tells her that without any more vacations to sell him, she needs to tell him why she left that ranch. She insists that there's no time for this, but he says that they don't see time the same way, and he wants to hear now. <laughs> He's like, bitch, I got nothing yeah. but time. <laughs> I do want to say, like you had said earlier about the tight shots on the faces. Yes. Yeah. His stare, because he's staring directly down lens. Yeah. It is frightening. Yes. It is powerful. It's like he's looking right into your soul. Yeah. So you can only imagine what Clarice feels. Yeah. And I love the shot composition of shooting both of them to where you both see the bars around them. Yeah. yeah. Almost like they're both kind of in their own way caged. They are. Yeah. It's very just brilliant. I can't yeah. stop saying brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it is. 
but he recaps her life story that she's given him. She says that one morning she just ran away, but he wants to know what set her off. When did she go? She says that it was still dark. It was early. He asks what woke her, a dream? She finally admits that she heard a strange noise, screaming. It sounded like a child's voice, but she went into the barn. She was scared, but she had to look, and that's when she saw the lamb, and the lambs were screaming. Lecter asks if they were slaughtering the lambs, and she says yes, and they were screaming. He asks if this is when she ran away, but she says she tried to free them first. She opened their pens, but they were too afraid to run away. So she did. She took a lamb and she ran as fast as she could. He asks where she was going and she says that she doesn't know. It was cold and she didn't bring any food or water. She just wanted to save one of them, but the lamb was so heavy. She didn't get more than a few miles before she was picked up by the sheriff. And the rancher she was living with was so angry with her that he sent her to live in an orphanage. Like this kid's been through a lot. Lecter asks what became of the lamb and she admits that they killed him. He asks if she still wakes up in the dark some nights hearing the screaming of the lambs with tears in her eyes. She says, yes. He asks if she thinks that if she can save Catherine, the screaming will stop and she won't wake up in the dark ever again to the horrible screaming of the lambs. Clarice says that she doesn't know. Lecter thanks her and she finally asks him to tell her Buffalo Bill's name. He pauses for a moment and then greets Dr. Chilton, presuming that the two of them know each other. So before Chilton's ass is in here, I just want to say that this scene right here for me, this is Jodie Foster winning the Oscar. Absolutely. There is so much here, so much depth of character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The emotions, the urgency, the honesty. Yeah. Just brilliant work. Yeah. And then him egging her on to tell more. Yep. It's just, and that's where he won it. (laughs) (laughs) That's where we both won. It's Um, perfect. He got off at the end there. Well, (laughs) see that? (laughs) He got off right then there. He's like, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) God. But Clarice freezes as Dr. Chilton leads Lieutenant Boyle and two other officers over to her and demands that she leave. One of the other officers is played by George Romero. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? And I don't think he has one line. No. He's just there being George Romero. Yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Boyle takes Clarice by the arm, apologizing that he has orders to put her on a plane. Clarice, being led away, reminds Lecter that it's his turn and he muses over her bravery. He asks her to let him know when the lamb stops screaming. She asks him to tell her Buffalo Bill's name, but Lecter holds up her case file. She pulls free from the officers and runs over to take it from him. When she does, Lecter caresses her finger with his own. Clarice is finally pulled away and led out of the room. Thought that was a little interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. But he's been flirtatious in his own yeah. way. He ha- I mean, and how much contact does he get? Oh, none. And he knows that just doing that, how, how long would you think about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would probably think about that forever. Mm-hmm. The two seconds that this yeah, the, the monster. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but after getting a shot of a plane taking off, we see Clarice walking through the Baltimore airport. Back at the courthouse, we pan over a drawing of Clarice cradling a lamb. I was like, you did that fucking. Yeah. That was, Dude, <laughs> that was incredible. very fast. There's an old quote that is attributed to Kurt Cobain where he says thank you for the tragedy I need it for my art Mm -hmm. I was like that's Hannibal (laughs) (laughs) the whole time she's talking this is gonna look great (laughs) he's like I'm gonna get the fur on that lamb fur lamb (laughs) 
Wool on it. Let me get the wool on it. Let him just right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I know this is not correct. <laughs> but Lecter is sitting behind a curtain in his cell with his eyes closed. Lieutenant Boyle and Sergeant Pembry, played by Alex Coleman, deliver his meal. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is so fucking funny to me. <laughs> but he asks that they wait a moment. <laughs> Pembry remarks <laughs> that Lecter demanded a second dinner of lamb chops. Extra rare. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest right now. You didn't have to do that. Yeah. It's, it's bad enough that they're saying that. And then he's like, son of a bitch demanded a second yeah. dinner. He's already had dinner. Yeah. But why why are you doing this? Well, that's what I'm saying. Y'all There's didn't have no, to. I guess he it was in his demand. I mean, <laughs> is it because the, the, they think that he helped the senator? But yeah. they didn't even sign anything. And not, no, nobody's caught Buffalo it, Bill or Safe well, Catherine obviously yet. he's still here, so they're buying whatever the fuck he's saying. Who cooked it? I I, <laughs> like, there's just a, there's a lot Somebody. of questions. <laughs> I will say because what happens next is one of the most amazing parts of the film. Oh, Absolutely, yeah. but the catalyst this, to why it, it happened. Made, yeah, I it's, laughed. It's a bit oh silly. my it, god, yeah. I laughed so hard because like, you're right, the son of a bitch. I'm like, y'all yeah. didn't have to do no. that. No, I could like, not. Well, we got to do what he says. No, you don't. Yeah. But, and he's just getting hungry during Clarice's story. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> like who was that for? Actually, oh my uh, god. I'd like a second dinner tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. The officers arm themselves with mace and batons, but behind the curtain, Lecter conjures up a piece of metal from his mouth from that goddamn pen. I love the shot of it in his hand. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's like, we, we see it. Yeah. <laughs> he stands and greets them, and they tell him to sit down on the ground. He does. And that's when we see the small piece of metal stashed yeah. between his fingers. <laughs> He sits with his back to the bar so he can be cuffed, saying, ready when you are, Sergeant Pembry. Sergeant Pembry cuffs him, but he just immediately uses the little piece of metal to start picking the lock. Nobody is, nobody's closely, for the <laughs> reputation that yeah. he has, they're just like, nah, I mean, cook him a second dinner, give him his art, let mm -hmm. him draw. Like, they're just letting him yeah. do whatever the fuck he I wants. I think yeah. my thing was, at least let them get inside the cell before you start picking the lock. Yeah. One of them is right there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he is OP. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he just does whatever the fuck he wants. But Lieutenant Boyle brings his food inside the cell and Lecter asks him to mind the drawings just before he sets the plate on the drawing of Clarice. He sets the plate on the floor instead and carefully rolls up the drawing. They're like, yeah. but he did say, we'll treat you how you treat us. And yeah. he's, he's been polite. Except for the old demanding. <laughs> Second dinner. <laughs> need to get a He's Michelin like, star I chef. Need to yeah. Gordon fucking Ramsay. Mm -hmm. It's raw. Anyway, that was when the order came in. <laughs> <laughs> but when Lieutenant Boyle goes to pick the meal tray back up, Lecter slaps his cuffs on Lieutenant Boyle's wrist and cuffs him to the cell. Lieutenant Boyle warns Sergeant Pembry, but Lecter is like too fast <laughs> and fucking bites Pembry in his face mm -hmm. before slamming his head down into the cell bars and macing him. Lieutenant Boyle screams and struggles to unlock his cuffs while Lecter raises Pembry's baton and beats Lieutenant Boyle to death, spraying himself with blood, enjoying every second of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a look in his eyes, mm. especially whenever he does the pepper spray, uh -huh. when he gets the baton and he's whipping yeah. ass. Yeah. And it's like, it's not even a matter of like joy. 
Right. It's almost like it's a necessary thing. Yeah. And the way he's breathing is almost like he's being satiated as he does well, he, it. Yeah. I mean, I he's think like, you can of, throw the lamb in the garden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hungry anymore. Mm-mm. I think of Chilton when he was talking about his pulse didn't get above 80, 85 when yeah. he was eating yeah. his face. He seems so calm. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's very impressive. And he's so calculated in his cruelty. Oh, yeah. As classical music plays from a radio, Lecter closes his eyes and enjoys it for a moment with Lieutenant Boyle's lifeless body behind him. He picks up Boyle's pocket knife. I'm like, why were y'all bringing extra shit in there? But anyway. (laughs) That's a great question. Before he repeats, ready when you are, Sergeant Pembry, and strolls out of his cell. I love the shot from above where that's probably one of my favorite shots in the film. The blood on his face and his very, very white. That's a whole ass mood. Extremely extremely white. I was telling John Paul the other day, this whole piece of this, it feels like we get two movies. This feels like a completely different movie to me every time I watch it. It it honestly feels like Clarice is like, I really hope he doesn't do that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) She's just dreaming And then we watch it it play out. No, this is what Crawford was dreaming whenever he was in the car. (laughs) 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 but it it i like it because it's like we're being warned the entire time about this dude yeah you gave him that one opening that's all it took that tiny and it wasn't even the whole pen no that way you didn't notice it well when when i saw the pen that chilton had left the pen behind i'm like that's going into somebody's jugular right like He's stabbing somebody with yeah, that. Yeah. That's going in somebody's eye. Like, no. That's not how he works. Mm-mm. Just need the clip. Yeah. I get myself out. Yeah. The rest. He's I got just, it. He's too smart. Yeah. It's next level. They never had a chance. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but officers watch as the elevators rise to the fifth floor, the top floor. When Sergeant Tate, played by Danny Darst, confirms with Officer Jacobs, played by Cynthia Edinger, that nobody is supposed to be on the fifth floor, he starts to tell someone to call Sergeant Pembry. Which Sergeant Pembry is busy right now. Yeah, yeah. He's interrupted, though, by the sound of gunfire. Sergeant Tate radios it in as the rest of the officers stare at the elevator doors. The indicator shows that it's coming down to the third floor. Tate radios in for a 10 block radius to be sealed off a SWAT team and an ambulance because they're going up. <laughs> they're like, we're going to need it. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> about to get it. A few of you guys ain't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Guns drawn. Sergeant Tate leads the officers up the stairs to the third floor. Tate approaches the open elevator doors, but finds it empty. He calls out to Pembry and Boyle before bursting into the room where Lecter had been held. Inside, to their horror, and I don't know how he did this, they find Boyle dramatically strung up on the side of the cage with his stomach open and his arms raised. Pembry is on the floor with much of his face chewed off. Tate reports both Lecter and Boyle's gun missing into his radio as Murray rushes to Pembry on the floor. They had said, you know, how like Boyle's like a diorama now or whatever? Yes. They had said that they had used the paintings of Francis Bacon as like influence Uh uh-huh and if you look there's a lot of twisted and distorted bodies and everything and it's like i this is probably one of the greatest murder set pieces i've ever seen absolutely and how gruesome it is when they really haven't been that gruesome in this film No, that's the thing is they use it so sparingly that when we get it it is 10 times more effective yeah but upon closer inspection murray reports that pembry is still alive Tate yells at Murray to talk with him, so Murray leans close and he does. We see Pembry blowing bubbles and the blood on his face as he breathes slowly. 
Murray carefully instructs Pembry to just keep breathing, and the police, ambulances, and SWAT team finally show up. Murray's like he all I remember is him saying, You look real good. Yeah. <laughs> you look real good. It's like yeah. you're lying to me. <laughs> you yeah. are so good. Looking. Yeah. <laughs> if you gotta tell me that many times, I'm, I, so right. scared. I'm fucked like, I up. Look bad, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> But Murray holds Pembry's hand as he's put on a stretcher. When he starts to seize, they rush him away into the elevator. In the elevator, Tate reports that Pembry is holding on, but bright red blood starts to drop onto the white blanket over Pembry's body on the stretcher. This prompts them all to look up to the ceiling where the blood is pooling. Tate draws his gun and keeping his cool, tells the radio that they think Lecter is somewhere on the second floor. Once the elevator stops, Tate has the EMTs leave and he and the other cops stand outside the doors with their guns drawn. He holds the door and tells the SWAT commander, played by Chris Isaac, that Lecter is on the roof of the elevator. SWAT communicator, played by Daniel Von Bargen. I was very surprised. <laughs> it's like, Kay Uger? I know. How many Seinfeld fucking references can we grab? We'll find another one. <laughs> And SWAT shooter, played by Tommy Lafitte, open the elevator shaft and peer in with the mirror. The shooter's like, is this going to be on the test? (laughs) (laughs) This This is is the the test. test. (laughs) Once they spot Lecter on the elevator roof, they look down. He's got a gun in his hand, but he's not moving. They call out to him, getting an instruction that they need him alive. Now, he is face down Mm -hmm. and again, not moving. When he doesn't answer them calling out to him, the SWAT shooter shoots him in the leg. And again, he gives no response. He just takes it. (laughs) The rest of the SWAT team decides to go up through the panel and the ceiling of the elevator. I thought they were going to be like, wise guy. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they handled it a lot more maturely. But they warn the SWAT members above them that any fire will be coming from them. They carefully open the panel, causing Lecter's body to fall through and dangle upside down. And the ambulance, with Pembry's chewed up face covered, they report his injuries to the hospital. The EMS attendant, played by Josh Broder, continues to radio the situation as Pembry removes the coverings from his face. He's like, the mirror! (laughs) (laughs) Finally, he stands and peels off Pembry's scarred and lacerated face to reveal that he is, in fact, Hannibal Lecter. This may be unpopular. Let him go. He (laughs) He wanted it more. He wanted it more. (laughs) He's proven that. Dude, all Ted Bundy, didn't he jump out of a window once? That's nothing compared to this. He shrunk himself down to ceiling size. That's not that's nothing compared to this shit. Not to ceiling size. This is just uh, Oh yeah, bravo, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. No. I'm not even mad. No. At some impressed. point you're just yeah. impressed. With a pocket knife? Yeah, dude. Or, you're telling me with a piece yeah. of a pen. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing let him go he's free (laughs) exonerate him get that senator back here (laughs) back at quantico ardelia drops a phone and runs down a hallway we cut to her talking with clarice who paces back and forth in a bathrobe ardelia says that they found the ambulance at the memphis airport Lecter had killed the ambulance crew as well as a random tourist to take his clothes and his money she says that he could be anywhere i don't know why (laughs) i thought the tourist just saw it happen he's like you come here clarice is sure that Lecter won't come after her saying that she knows that he would consider it rude 
I believe her. Which sounds like if somebody said that, I'd be like, okay, so you're under his spell. Right. You know what I mean? But, but she's right. She laments that it's all over and that Catherine is as good as dead. But Ardelia assures her that this isn't her fault. Clarice remembers Lecter saying that everything they needed to find Buffalo Bill was in the case file. But Ardelia reminds her that Lecter said a lot of things. Clarice is sure, though, that Buffalo Bill is there in that file. Now, something I think we can all agree on. Hmm. This is Chilton's fault. Oh, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thousand uh, percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Exonerate Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> bring him up on Put charges. <laughs> Put Chilton in the glass cell. The same charges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, switch, switch, Just switch, yeah, yeah tried, switch places. I tried to tell y'all at the beginning that he was the real villain of this film. <laughs> well, we've learned the hard way. <laughs> Back at their house, Buffalo Bill begins to use their sewing machine to sew a hem onto a piece of human skin. Going full Ed Gein, right? In a laundry room, Ardelia finds a map where Lecter wrote a note. It's funny because <laughs> she's like, "Is this Lecter's handwriting?" And then this is what it says: <laughs> Clarice. Doesn't this random scattering of sights seem desperately random, like the elaboration of a bad liar? Ta, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start signing all my notes, Ta. <laughs> Clarice ponders what this could mean, and Ardelia says that maybe it's not random at all. Maybe there's a pattern here. Clarice says that if there were any kind of pattern, the computer would have found it. But Ardelia says it's random because of the girl that was weighted down. Clarice identifies her again as Frederica Bimmel from Belvedere, Ohio, as they look at a picture of her. She asks why she was the first girl taken, but the third body found. And Ardelia says it's because she was weighted and she didn't drift. Clarice, you were already told this. You knew that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had this conversation with Crawford. Yeah. Clarice, she's like, I've been through a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a rough fucking week. And your name again? <laughs> Clarice recalls Lecter saying that Buffalo Bill covets. How do we first start to covet? We covet what we see every day. They presume that this means Buffalo Bill knew Frederica Bimmel. I also found it interesting that Frederica Bimmel is from Belvedere, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And Lecter's drawing was a building from the Belvedere yeah. in Italy. Interesting. I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. See, he's playing. We were playing games yeah. since the fucking beginning. I will say, I know that they had a very, very kind alley-oop from Hannibal Lecter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say that I think Ardelia should have been on board since day one. Yeah. yeah she figured that shit yeah. out quick. Like, that was honestly quicker than Clarice. Even, yeah. <laughs> even Clarice was like, no, no. Uh, yeah. That would be in the computer. The com Siri would have told us. It's like, dude, what the fuck? are you saying but i think that they bounce ideas off each other yeah no yeah yeah you should have got should, both of them she definitely should have been in it more yeah but in belvedere clarice meets up with frederica's father mr bimmel played by harry northup he invites her inside although he says he doesn't have any new information for her he says that frederica took a bus to chicago to see about a job and she left the interview but she never came home he lets her go into frederica's bedroom which he has kept the way that she left it Clarice looks out of Frederica's window, looks over her possessions and the posters and photos on her walls. She looks inside a half-open music box and finds a hidden panel with Polaroid pictures inside. There are photos of Frederica posing in her underwear with curlers in her hair. In the last one, she's topless, facing away from the camera and covering her smiling face with her hand. Clarice leaves the music playing and follows the family cat into the sewing room. 
She looks out the window and sees Mr. Bimmel outside before rummaging through the closet. She finds a dress with two large diamond-shaped cuts out of the back of it. Upon seeing this, she runs away. Can we credit the cat with the assist? Oh, yeah. 100%. Because yeah. he's like, he's like <laughs> literally. And then she Look went out. Look at this closet. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, you know. Can she put the pictures back? Or does that like, you're going to leave them there oh, for shit. the family to come find them? I thought she was going to take them with her. But we just, yeah, put, no. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just drops them on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> her dad's like, special agent Starling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the phone downstairs, she tells Crawford that Buffalo Bill is making a woman suit out of real women. She says that they're skilled, a dressmaker or a tailor, and they keep them alive to starve them so the skin loosens. Crawford interrupts her and he's like, yeah, no, we already know and we know where they live too. It's like, what the fuck? So this part, I was very confused by. It was was quick. I don't know. And they're in a fucking B2 bomber or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's talking to her on a phone from the plane where they're on their way to Buffalo Bill. They'll be landing on the edge of Chicago, presumably where Buffalo Bill lives in about 45 minutes. So I guess everything's wrapped up in a neat little packet. Apparently, yeah. Clarice says that this is great news, but she asks how they found them. Crawford says that John Hopkins, a place that Lecter suggested that does the gender affirming surgery, gave a list of names that they ran against the names of offenders. Buffalo Bill's real name is Jamie Gum or Jame Gum, a.k.a. John Grant. Lecter told the truth about everything, but just called them Lewis Lewis Friend. He says that about two years ago, there was a shipment stopped at LAX. It was live caterpillars from Suriname being sent to Jamie Gum. <laughs> like, what, yeah. <laughs> what were they doing with their time, dude? No. <laughs> <laughs> eh, Clarice will figure it out. Yeah. I'm going to sleep in this car. <laughs> we know. No, no. No, no. Let her do it. It's yeah. nap time. It's important for her. <laughs> Clarice starts to say that she'll meet them in Chicago, but Crawford stops her. There's not enough time. They have to get them for murder, not kidnapping. She needs to stay in Belvedere to try to link them to Frederica before they're indicted. Clearly disappointed, she says that she'll do her best. Crawford tells her that they would not have been able to catch them without her, and no one is going to forget that, least of all Crawford himself. I mean, I want to commend Crawford for saying this, but like, you fucking better, dude, because... You, you would not. No. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no fucking way. Yeah. Not at all. But she thanks him, and then the call is abruptly disconnected. Back at Buffalo Bill's house, Catherine mutters, sarcastically thanking Buffalo Bill for the scraps of food that they gave her, but saying that she had another idea instead. <laughs> I'm sorry, but she doesn't need to be saying any of this. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, she literally and loudly says, and the well echoes. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, thanks for the scraps, asshole. I was like, this is hole, bad. Hole, yeah. hole. They're like, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> She ties twine onto one of the bones from a piece of chicken that she was given. You're eating well. I mean, at least they gave her chicken. Yeah. It's not scra- like it's do- not scraps. I thought it would be yeah, like. No, she- Unless they were bones when they tossed them down. Oh, that's just I don't know. I don't know what she was given, but we all like chicken. (laughs) (laughs) If we can unite on one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus starts to play and we cut to Buffalo Bill putting on makeup. Okay. I never noticed that they were wearing somebody's scalp. 
I'm sorry. They're yeah. wearing yeah. somebody's scalp. I've I've watched this movie so many times, and I never knew that that was there. I, I never, never again. Yeah. I was gonna say I've I've seen I've seen that movie twenty <laughs> goddamn times. I never noticed. Yeah, uh-uh. that they're wearing, and you can see it. They're filling in their brows, and there's a piece yeah. of scalp. Okay, I watched it last night. <laughs> <laughs> hey did not did not see Dude, that i've like i said i've watched this since a kid yeah i only noticed it when we did it for the show yeah me too i need to go back i never yeah. noticed it before this time working on the script i was like oh shit horrifying yeah. yeah well i think that there's so much going on i think i i kind of winced a bit at the ring nipple ring yeah, yeah. uh that was a prosthetic, thankfully. Oh, because I was like, "Ooh, that looks." <laughs> they were talking a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, uh, I mean, be careful with the nipples, what please. Is, yeah. <laughs> what did Lecter say? Got your nipples nice Maria. and hot, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but Catherine tosses the bucket with the chicken bone tied to it up and out of the well, up and over, <laughs> coaxing, really? coaxing, I don't know, <laughs> coaxing Precious to get to it. We get shots of Buffalo Bill's tattoos and, of course, nipple piercings as Precious gets out of her dog bed and follows Catherine's voice to the well. Catherine sobs, still begging Precious, as Buffalo Bill puts on necklaces and lipsticks. They ask their reflection, would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. And again, we love an, a- an affirmation. I'm I'm here with you. You're not supposed to say that every morning? I do. Because the, <laughs> the film is treating it like this is bad. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, again, we love an affirmation. Yeah. Confidence. Um, I am confident enough to leave my house yeah. now. <laughs> but Precious finally gets a hold of the bone, but Catherine pulls the bucket too early and it's pulled away from Precious. She sobs in regret as Buffalo Bill turns on a camera and dances in front of it, singing along with Goodbye Horses. For the grand reveal, wearing nothing but a shawl, Buffalo Bill fully opens it, unveiling themselves with their genitals tucked between their legs. I do want to know the intention of the filmmaker of this part. Right. Because I don't know if they're... Because I, when I think in my head of like 90s audiences, right. this is played for a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. And it sells Buffalo Bill's, I guess, uh, you know, insanity. Right. But... I feel like it's also, in its own way, if you look at it through Buffalo Bill's self-identification, they went for gender-affirming surgery yes. three uh-huh. times, mm-hmm. yeah. were not accepted, yeah. and this is I their maybe way of imagining what could be. Yeah, or trying to combat some dysmorphia. There's a couple ways that, I mean, this could be interpreted. I did read that Ted Levine insisted on this because this was not supposed to be in the movie, uh-huh. and- when Ted Talley, the screenwriter, saw this, he was mm-hmm. like, uh, because this was not, I think it is in the I was going to say, did he not book? read the book? But he did not put this into the film. Oh, okay. Ted Levine insisted because he said that it was integral to Buffalo Bill's character. And he also said that he had to take shots of tequila to even get the nerve to do this. Well, it's pretty bold to put yourself. It is. Yeah. You know, one thing I will say, though, is that. The Buffalo Bill they gave us, I don't know how important it is to this character that we see. That's the yeah. that's the thing is I don't know. Again, I, I, I did not get a chance to read the book. Maybe the character that they're all familiar with and making this film because they all did read the book. Uh-huh. Maybe it does. But the story that we've been presented with and the, you know, denial mm-hmm. of who they have declared themselves to be mm-hmm. that being negated by characters in authority. Yes. I am. Um, 
I will say I, I don't fully understand what the intention is. No. I can understand how I am receiving it mm-hmm. in 2022 mm-hmm. as an empathetic person. I don't know how it was intended. The other reading, now that I know that they're wearing a fucking scalp right. that I didn't know before, this could be their imagining of how oh, they'll appear the when the suit's ready. Well, ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's dinner. <laughs> when the suit's finished. Yeah. <laughs> While the suit's getting Can ready. <laughs> but we cut to the Air National Guard headquarters in Chicago, where officers run around and Crawford and Agent Burroughs land and run off screen. At a restaurant, Stacy Hubka, played by Lauren Roselli, asked Clarice if being an FBI agent is a good job, saying that she must get to travel to better places than this. Stacy was in one of the photographs that Frederica had in her room. Clarice says that that's sometimes true, but Stacy goes on that Frederica was happy for her when she got her job at the bank, but says she was a big dummy. <laughs> Clarice asks, "What is she fucking Sanford and yeah. Son? <laughs> <laughs> be a big dummy." <laughs> Clarice asks if Frederica ever mentioned a Jamie Gum or John Grant, but Stacy says no. Clarice asks if maybe there's a friend that Stacy didn't know about, but Stacy says definitely not. She would have known if Frederica had a boyfriend. All Frederica cared about was sewing. Stacy said that she and another friend helped Frederica with it sometimes, making alterations for a lady named Miss Lipman. Clarice asked for Mrs. Lipman's address. Um, so the photos, did Buffalo Bill take those? That's what I'm assuming. I feel, but as, yeah, as I this is like rapidly, because we're almost done, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. rapidly approaching its conclusion, there are a couple questions that I have, and that's one of them. Yeah. And also, I never really get clarification on who this Miss Lipman character is either. <laughs> oh, I have a theory on that. Okay, please. I do have a theory on that, but uh, that things are moving <laughs> very quickly. Yes. Yeah. But we see the outside of a house in Calumet City, Illinois. We cut to Buffalo Bill as they help remove one of their moths from a cocoon, calling the moth powerful and beautiful. Outside of the house, officers come onto the property and creep around the side, guns drawn. Inside, Precious begins to bark and Buffalo Bill goes to look for her. When they go into the room where they're keeping Catherine in the well, Catherine calls up to them. She holds Precious, ready to break her neck. Outside, Crawford, also with a gun drawn, joins the officers. Inside, and we're just going back yes, and forth, like yes. the tension yeah. is mounting. Inside, Buffalo Bill's face contorts in horror as they lower the bucket down and instruct Catherine to put Precious in the bucket. Catherine refuses, telling Buffalo Bill to lower down a phone instead. She tells Buffalo Bill that Precious is in a lot of pain and she needs a vet. She's pretty sure that Precious broke her leg when she fell down. And Buffalo Bill just screams at her not to hurt Precious. But Catherine's like, don't make me hurt Precious. It's conditional. Yeah. I don't think she'll hurt this dog. No. I don't either. She She's just doing what she has to. Yeah. But Buffalo Bill yells down that Catherine doesn't even know what pain is. They stomp out of the room, Catherine calling up to them to bring back a phone or the dog is dead. Outside, under the guise of a flowery delivery man, an officer played by Lamont Arnold knocks on the door. I was just thinking of Dale Gribble. Exactly. Yeah. Like, we actually did this. Yeah. Like, did he organize this thing? Or? A dozen long stem roses. Where it's like, wait, what? What the fuck? Soldier of fortune. <laughs> Inside... Buffalo Bill starts to throw shit around while Catherine continues to scream, taunting them that she's going to do it. 
Buffalo Bill reaches under a blanket with swastikas on it. Yeah. And pulls out a gun. This is what I had read that there were supposed to be a bunch of things around Buffalo Bill's home uh-huh. that was supposed to insinuate that Buffalo Bill has tried on all of these extremist, mm-hmm. like, I guess we're a Nazi now, or I get, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, again, if that were fleshed out more, mm-hmm. then maybe, again, I mean, I was going to say maybe it could be seen as them just searching for an identity. Right. Of anyone other than themselves, but even that is dangerous. Just yeah. don't, just don't. Yeah. I, mean, I don't. I don't know. That's why you don't fucking play with themes you're not yeah. willing to explore to fully properly. Flesh out. Yeah. yeah. Just make them Ed Gein. Yeah. yeah. But outside, the flower delivery man rings the doorbell, and inside, Buffalo Bill looks up at a bell that rings and flashes. The flower delivery man looks back at the officers before ringing the bell again and getting a nod from Crawford. Why do they have the scariest fucking bell that I've ever seen? I don't yeah. know. That's, that's the school's out forever bell. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I, that's totally, I'm not a cop. No, like, right? oh, you're a cop. You're definitely. <laughs> but again, when the flowery delivery man rings the bell, the bell in Buffalo Bill's house rings. Crawford radios that they're going in as the rest of the officers get into position and ready their guns. Buffalo Bill goes upstairs, dressing in a button-down shirt and slacks to open their door. But when they open the door, it's not the flowery delivery man or the SWAT team or Crawford. It's Clarice earnestly presenting her badge and apologizing for bothering them. So surprise, bitch. We're in two different houses. I was like, fuck. And this is a remarkable bit of editing. Absolutely. Absolutely. They had said, I saw an interview with Craig McKay, he's the editor of the film, Mm -hmm. where he had said that they originally had these separated completely in the original cut. Really? Yeah. And it for me, I don't see how that racks up any tension at all. No. The way that these are combined into kind of like one segment, Mm -hmm. it just seems like that's the way it was always meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, because you feel like... Like shit is coming to a head inside. Shit's coming to a head outside. Everything is about to explode. That's what it feels like. And then when you, when the reveal happens, you're just scared for Clarice. Absolutely. Because you're like, well, where the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're not here. No. Like they're all of them are (laughs) somewhere else. There was a line from Deb on Dexter that was a little cringe when she was like, FBI. Holy fuck. No, not not Frankenfuck. (laughs) (laughs) Not the Frankenfuck snakes. (laughs) She said, FBI, fucking bunch of idiots. And I was like, why am I thinking that right now? (laughs) (laughs) That line is terrible. Deb was right. Yeah. God damn it. She played the long game. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But back at Buffalo Bill's house, Clarice tells them that she's looking for Mrs. Lippman's family. Elsewhere, the SWAT team kicks the door down and crashes through the windows of a house. They really, I mean, they thought they were doing it. (laughs) Like they're crashing through windows and shit. But back at Buffalo Bills, they tell Clarice that the Lippman family doesn't live there anymore. But Clarice won't let them in the conversation, further explaining that she's investigating the death of Frederica Bimmel. At the other house, because it is another house, an officer tells Crawford that there's no one there at all. The camera zooms in tight on Crawford's stunned face as he says, Clarice. So this is the part where they were cut separately originally. Yeah. They had them fucking up with the wrong house. And then after he's like, Clarice, that's when Buffalo Bill opens the door for Clarice. 
I like it way better this no, way. Way better because yeah. you're so caught off guard. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because they're ringing the doorbell and then they go to answer the door. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just perfectly timed. Yes. Back at Buffalo Bills, they introduce themselves as Jack Gordon. Clarice says that Frederica used to work for Mrs. Lippman, but Buffalo Bill claims not to know her. But wait, was she a great big fat person? I was, I like, was like, are you ah! serious? Yeah. Clarice confirms that Frederica was a bigger girl, and Buffalo Bill says that they saw her in the newspaper. They claim to have Mrs. Lippman's son's card so that she can get in touch with him. Then they invite her in while they look around for it. Clarice goes inside the house. I think that the entire point of her going inside the house at this point is because of that comment they made. Yeah. It About being caught, a big fat it person. It caught her yeah. off guard because that's not what you say. She a great big fat person. I'm like, yeah. I'm, dude, I'm investigating. Yeah, I'm investigating her death. Oh, that fat bitch. It's, it's like, like, dude, whoa. are you? Yeah. And that I think is Red flag. the kind of mentality a serial killer would have. They don't fucking care about anything yeah. for the most part. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, Dennis Rader did pretty well. Yeah. But um, compartmentalization. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that's not Buffalo Bill's forte. No. no. Once inside the house, the score begins to play and Buffalo Bill asks Clarice if she thinks they're close to capturing someone. Clarice says that they might be and asks if they took over the place after Mrs. Lippman died. Buffalo Bill says that they bought the house two years ago. And after Clarice asks, they say that Mrs. Lippman didn't leave any paperwork from her business behind at all. So again, with the stereotypical serial killer behavior... Uh, do are they have any leads? Yeah, or? yeah, 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 yeah. Have they described anyone that looks like me? Or like it's very transparent. Yeah. Yes. Clarice scans the house as Buffalo Bill asks again if the FBI has figured it out because the cops around here haven't. Clarice's eyes stop on a table full of colorful spools of thread, but when a death's head moth lands on them, her eyes widen in fear. This was. An excellent reveal. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because you know she's already suspicious. And you see there's paintings of butterflies and stuff yeah. all around. She composes herself and looks back up at Buffalo Bill, who is still asking if they have any kind of description of the killer or any <laughs> fingerprints that were left They're behind. like, I really yeah. know. <laughs> How much do y'all know? Clarice says that they don't, but she reaches inside of her coat to the gun holstered on her hip. We see that Buffalo Bill's gun is sitting on the stove in the kitchen behind them. Finally, they present the card with Mrs. Lippman's son's supposed phone number on it and they extend it out to Clarice. She asks if she can use the phone and Buffalo Bill starts to giggle before saying that she can. That obviously is not a good sign. No. No. But what I will say is that they're probably giggling because they're like, dude, the girl in the well just asked me the exact same question. (laughs) That's kind of funny, right? Everyone wants a phone today. Synchronicity. (laughs) Clarice unholsters her gun and points it at Buffalo Bill, demanding that they freeze and spread their legs. They only smile, raising both of their hands and dropping dozens of business cards that they were holding onto the floor. She continues to give instructions, but they ignore them. Finally, twisting around the corner and into the kitchen, the twist was hilarious. It was pretty funny. Because I'm like, Clarice, you're, <laughs> you're watching them do this in plain view. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I love is their dropping of the cards. It's, yes. like, it's almost like a magician about to do a trick. <laughs> but one thing I will say I learned that will kind of make you think it's very interesting, Nay, 
is that whenever they were designing this house, mm-hmm. you see how cluttered and fucking ridiculous the kitchen is? Yeah. They took photos of Ed Gein's kitchen. <gasps> oh, wow. And oh. just modeled it after Ed Gein's I kitchen. I love All that. Right. That's like next level research. Yeah. But she runs after them, gun still drawn, and sheds her coat before going down into the basement. Slowly and carefully, Clarice follows, hesitating when she comes to two doors. She finally opens one, panting and shaking as the door creaks. When she steps inside, she hears both Precious barking and Catherine yelling out. There's a lot of shots in this sequence of closed doors that need to be opened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Demi said that Roger Corman told him there's nothing more frightening than a camera approaching a closed door. Oh, I mean, yeah. And in all honesty, no, so yeah. Demi's like, let's do it 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> do but it I, for Corman. I felt like Bart, who designed this house? No shit. Like, this is a labyrinth. It is crazy. Yeah, that's one thing, too. I know there's got to be homes like this, uh-huh. but where? For well, real. Uh, yeah. They did say that the upper level where they have their little discussion before they drop all the cards and run uh-huh. away. Yes. Um, that was a real house. But then once they start getting below and all the stuff with Catherine, yeah. that's a set. When we head into the maze. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where things start to get a little like, what the fuck is this place? Yes. But she comes to another door with the map of the United States pinned to it and she flings it open. Still holding her gun up, she looks inside. On the wall next to her, there are Polaroids of Buffalo Bill posing with several women in different stages of undress. They had said on commentary, Jonathan Demi was upset because they never got insert shots of those Polaroids. Uh huh. He said that they were very important, but a lot of people didn't even notice them. And I did. I, yeah. They're kind of in the rule of thirds. Like, right yeah. Now. Like, who doesn't notice that? But yeah. uh, I would like to know exactly what they mean and how they're yeah. important. Because it looks look like happy. they're having a lot yeah. of fun. It looked like maybe a strip club. Yeah, that's, yeah. What I, that's exactly what I was thinking. But they're alive and happy in the photos. Yeah. But we finally see what Clarice sees. A mannequin outfitted with the early stages of a human skin suit. Jonathan Demi said people miss that too. What? How the fuck? It's right there. <laughs> don't know. Are you watching the movie? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have they, phones they yet. Were yeah. <laughs> they were taking a nap like Crawford. Just dreaming about Hannibal Lecter. Kicking ass and shit. Catherine begins to scream that she's down here and Clarice follows her voice, Skinner. I'm down down here. here. Music plays, but she is able to follow the sound of Precious's barking into the room with the well. She wedges a shovel underneath the door handle, identifies herself as FBI and promises Catherine that she's safe. But Catherine just begs to be let out. Clarice secures the area, closing the doors of the areas that she checks. I think of her when she's in her training. Exactly. She asks Catherine where Buffalo Bill is, but Catherine doesn't know. Clarice asks her to keep quiet and keep Precious quiet. She looks down at Catherine, who is still cowering at the bottom of the well, and promises that she will get her out of here, but she needs to leave for a moment. Catherine calls her a fucking bitch and continues (laughs) to scream, begging her not to leave her alone because Buffalo Bill is crazy. I gotta be honest, that is not the reaction I expected. like, Catherine! (laughs) But I would be very no. urgent as well. Of yeah, course, but I, I, I'm I afraid. I, also, this is my only way out. I'm not calling her a fucking bitch. Yeah, that is true. I wouldn't have started with that. <laughs> Probably not. But then when she's like, I'll be right back. No, 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 you bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Clarice does leave, though, approaching another door and screaming back at Catherine that the other officers are going to be here any minute. And this was 
loud enough, I think, that she wanted Buffalo yeah. Bill to hear that more than Catherine. Mm-hmm. Catherine continues to scream at her to wait, but Clarice tells her again to be quiet, and she finally does. Clarice opens the door in front of her, and a moth flies into view. She continues to find the makeshift operating room slash bug museum. After being startled by the moths, she still presses forward, her gun aimed in front of her. I love the blue and green lights in this. Yeah. And the moths living their best life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic work. Well, I mean, they're eating honey and fucking nightshade. Yeah. And they're living it up. I'm going to look up what nightshade is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming it's a kind of plant. It yeah. sounds delicious. <laughs> yes. I would like some as long as it's not poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> She finally enters a bathroom where she finds a body badly decomposing in a sludge-filled bathtub. That, my friends, is who I believe is Mrs. Lipman. Oh! Okay. Because she's not being used for the suit. No. no. But Buffalo if Bill needed the house. old lady, yeah. that makes perfect right. sense. But night vision goggles were, and we see through them. We watch Clarice enter the dark room, panting. She slides her hands around the walls, trying to find her way. And when we cut away, we see, of course, that it's Buffalo Bill wearing the goggles and watching her. Clarice starts into another room, but trips and falls momentarily before getting back up and slowly moving forward in the darkness. In the night vision view again, we watch as Clarice holds the gun forward with one hand and gropes blindly with the other. She turns her back and Buffalo Bill's hand reaches forward to grasp her hair, but Clarice turns around. Buffalo Bill's hand nearly touches her face, but she turns again and starts walking forward. This time, though, Buffalo Bill doesn't extend their hand. They extend their gun. In the split second that it takes them to pull the hammer back, Clarice is immediately aware of their presence. She turns and fires, the gunshots illuminating the room and crashing through a window and bringing in light. Clarice drops to the ground and reloads her weapon, but Buffalo Bill is already on their back, gurgling blood. With the goggles on their face, blood around their mouth, gunshots through their chest, and their arms twisted up, Buffalo Bill dies. So I will say I forgot they had night vision goggles. And so that, yeah. I was like, oh shit, they, yeah. you know, use them. I yeah. mean, you've, you've already got the home field advantage. Yes. Uh, there are so many doors down here. I yeah. don't know where the fuck <laughs> I'm going. Yeah, I mean, you know your way around. I don't. And you got, like, this was not a fair fight. I no. think, but the thing that gets me is that they're clearly playing with Clarice. But the fucking, like you said, home field advantage. Yeah. yeah. You have the night vision goggles. How did you lose this? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how did you bungle this that one pesky loud ass gun <laughs> i guess man i do want to say i love the fucking rise and fall of the music yeah, yeah. every reach that they do yeah. oh that's it's very so, good it's so tense see that's what's scary yes yeah. it's like they were reaching for her but not yes. and then yeah it's like oh you don't know what you're in the dark with they were yeah. playing the yeah. game yeah like, yeah. they were having fun yeah yeah and she's got no idea how close no. like, that, that is yeah. terrifying but Clarice still wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Clarice kicks their gun out of the way and we zoom in on the killer's face. We then zoom on the same newspaper clippings, Terror, Bill Skin's Fifth, that were pinned up in Crawford's Wall, now pinned up on Buffalo Bills. A piece of art adorned with butterflies twists as the wind blows in. But again, serial killer behavior. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Collection. Their own. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Later, Crawford and Co. finally arrived to the right house. <laughs> what was the fucking... Fucking bunch of idiots. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
Paramedics walk Catherine out of the house as she still clings on to Precious. In my mind, she adopts this dog and, mm-hmm. and you yeah. know, they grow all together. Crawford finds Clarice and wraps an arm around her, waving away the reporters that immediately begin to call her name. We cut to Clarice's name being called as she is finally awarded her official FBI badge. Ardelia cheers for her in the crowd. I so she's not being made head of the FBI because yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. after, <laughs> it's like and here's your badge yeah. like the Boss? lowest yeah. lowest rank yeah. <laughs> like peasant do you know what I just did no shit I'm the director now yeah I saw a thing that said in the book at the end she's just <laughs> no again I didn't read it but she's given the opportunity to retake the final that she missed while she was out solving this case. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I think she's proven. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) Clarice walks across the stage and smiles at Crawford, who applauds her from the back of the room and then promptly leaves. I thought it was going to be Hannibal Lecter. I swear (laughs) to God. I really did. Later, as they cut a cake for the graduates, Ardelia, who has also been made a special agent, tells Clarice that she has a phone call. She's been standing with Rodin, Pilcher, and Crawford, but she leaves to go get the phone. I did read that in the novel, she ends up with Pilcher. The one that's really? like cheeseburgers and beer. Oh, kinda, I, okay. I, I mean, it's cute, but I kind of like that they left it out because yeah. we don't need a romantic subplot no, in this. No. Well, we just need her to fucking be a badass that she's yeah. in the whole movie i think th- i agree that it works well without it i will say that from what i read about the next novel they fucking ruin her character entirely no oh. so uh maybe she should have just ended up with those. <laughs> <laughs> before she can go to the phone though crawford gets her attention once they're gone rodin and ardelia pose for a photo together it was just cute for no reason <laughs> Now pulled to the side, Crawford congratulates Clarice and tells her that he's leaving because he's not good at this kind of thing. Clarice thanks him and they shake hands. Crawford tells her that her father would have been proud of her today and reminds her to go and get her phone call before leaving. Clarice does answer the phone and on the other end, a familiar voice asks, well, Clarice, have the lambs stopped screaming? How did you get this number? (laughs) (laughs) This is when we squirt out a little bit of pee. (laughs) She immediately identifies him as Dr. Lecter. We see him wearing sunglasses as he tells her not to bother trying to trace this call because he won't be on long enough. Clarice looks around the corner, but everyone is preoccupied. She asks where he is, but he says he has no intention of calling on her. Mm. The world is more interesting with her in it. And he just asks her to extend him the same courtesy. He's That's like, look, I'll leave you yeah, alone. On the cool. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be telling anybody about this. Yeah. <laughs> but she tells him that he knows she can't promise him that. Lecter, with long blonde hair now, watches as Chilton gets off of a plane. He tells her that he wishes he could stay and chat, but he's having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> Clarice calls his name, but he hangs up the phone. She continues to call after him. Chilton asks the officer that he's with if security has been set up, and he's assured that it has been. <laughs> Seated at an outside table in a restaurant, Lecter casually puts on his hat and strolls to the road. With no sense of urgency or suspicion, he strolls behind Dr. Chilton. We continue to watch them until they disappear up the road as the credits roll. So, what did you guys think? Of the Silence of the Lambs. I really, really like this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know there are some problems, you know, we talked about. Uh, I also learned some things also from watching the movie. I'm not very familiar with 
You know what I mean? What they were talking about in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I did speak with your sister and she educated me more on the problems with what they were saying. I was just confused. Right. So I'm very glad that your sister enlightened me on that because that is Thank you. that is a problem to say shit like that. That's mm-hmm. not okay. And I can see why you were confused because the messaging is confusing. It's weird. Like I, it's didn't, not, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I don't even know that they knew what they were trying to yeah. say. No, not at all. Yeah. But... I mean, that aside, this movie is great. I like Hannibal as a character. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? There is no special powers. There's no, I'm going to get you. It's just, I'm very smart and I keep up with my shit and I am always on it. And I'll find a way. If there's a way for me to escape or for me to get away with something or to kill you, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. And like you were saying with the shots and the music and like the movie is good. Yeah. Like it's real good. I like the series as a whole as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't read the books. I read Red Dragon. But the what we had of the Silence of the Lambs in there, I think I've said it before. Uh, it was just like a piece of it that had been torn, oh, shit. torn off from the front of the book. Mm-hmm. So I only got to read like a chapter or something. Aww. So I was like, that was it. But I do enjoy the movie. I think the movie is great. I mean, I agree 100% on the clumsy yeah. aspect of that one uh, aspect of the film. Yeah, yeah. But I think that it is, outside of that, so brilliantly made. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The performances just, I mean, yeah. literally everything, the craft of making this film, it just came together so well. Yeah. And I think that it's definitely one to watch, mm-hmm. obviously with that lens. Yeah. But- to know again to see this film win those awards it is a big deal yeah Mm -hmm. because you see so many horror films or films in the genre that deserve that kind of recognition Mm -hmm. yeah so it's nice yeah Yeah. it's very nice to see one actually get it and achieve those heights and become a box office success and all this you know so i very much enjoy this film i will say that i do have just a couple issues with it outside of the one we discussed. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I just feel like it's so good that it's gonna probably become more of a staple for me. Yeah. yeah. And I'll probably watch it a lot more. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I think it's it's excellent for the most part. Um, I, I'm just a sucker for anything that really wants to explore a criminal psyche. Yes. Um, the notion of like, product killers versus process killers i feel like buffalo bill is a product killer mm-hmm. i think that it's clear in the way that they were reacting to Catherine pleading with them that it's like i i just <laughs> what was your thing about you earning your skin oh like, yeah i just want i don't want to have to do this but i need what you have yeah as in watching Hannibal Lecter with the baton. That was just that was yeah. enjoyment. That was for it's like, oh, this is my shit. Like that yeah. was for him. And he didn't even plan on eating that guy. No. No, no, no. That was just for I mean, yeah. it's kind of rude though, because you ordered some lambs. <laughs> That's yeah. true. You order some lamb, but then you just go and eat face and stuff. I mean, it's just well, it's yeah. but um got a preference. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I also the once you watch the film, the meaning of the title yes. is very yeah. I mean, it's like it once you learn after that conversation with them when they're talking in the cell and she's explaining about the lambs. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about the title, you could almost be like, "Oh, so she does like she yeah. she does save her and the lambs so do stuff." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not thinking about that. Yeah. No. When I was a kid, I was like the screaming of the lambs. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it called? This? Yeah, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> 
But it is. It's such an important and impactful concept. Yeah. They have been silenced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I guess we can just go into ratings. Sure. Um, I feel like this episode is probably extremely long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I feel like there is so much good to say. We've already talked about the performances. We talked about the cinematography. I really was affected watching it this time. The choice of Demi to have a lot of the other people besides Clarice staring directly at us. Yes. In an effort to kind of see from her point of view. I love having her being such a badass um, navigating through this world that is not welcoming to her Mm -hmm. and succeeding in really every way (laughs) despite you know her higher ups sleeping when she's she's (laughs) figuring shit out and doctors Um, hitting on her and shit (laughs) exactly uh oh i meant to say in my in my uh thoughts of the film how much i fucking hate dr chilton i just want that on record again yeah he's the worst Uh, (laughs) and and he played him perfectly oh he did because oh oh, my god i was fucking seething yeah the actor is fantastic yeah yeah but um i i feel like my real drawback i mean there's a couple nitpicky things like how did he how do you get that pit like (laughs) there's like how do you get that dude up there Mm -hmm. why did y'all make him the lamb chops (laughs) 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 that's gonna be a point of contention that's a very big deal (laughs) but i mean i i just feel like the biggest fumble to me was kind of like the the insensitivity with which the topic of Buffalo Bill's gender identity was handled. Right. Um and again like I said before, for me this film is pristine. So for that to be such a glaring oversight when you handled everything else with such care and forethought and it's just like damn it. Yeah. Like why damn it. And for all the research you did in other regards. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like for me, really, other than that, this is a perfect film for me. Mm-hmm. But taking that into account, on a scale from one to ten, loudly screaming lambs, <laughs> not, not the cooked ones, okay. <laughs> the <live> ones. <laughs> I gave The Silence of the Lambs nine out of ten loudly screaming lambs. <laughs> <laughs> and I will now open up the floor to you. I do, and I, and I, like I said, I know I've, I talked about watching this movie a lot, but as I grow, or as I get older, I really started to enjoy Hannibal mm-hmm. as a horror character right. more. You know what I mean? Because, you know, like I said earlier, he's got no powers. He's just super smart, calculating. He knows the shit. Mm-hmm. Um but he does it like the performance in this movie is just so fucking good. Yeah. It's like, man, that I see why people are ter- are terrified. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. It's like stay in the box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just stay there. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, the small things we've talked about and then the the big problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love the series, you know. I mean, and this movie is in there with it. So yeah. for me, on a scale of one to ten. Loudly screaming lambs. <laughs> I'm also gonna give Silence of the Lambs a nine out of ten. All right. I like I said, I really, really liked the movie, but you know, the more I, you know, I guess kind of realized what was going on in the movie and whatever. Yeah. And then, like I said, I uh, did have questions, so I asked your sister, and then it was it it does hurt. You know what I mean? The yeah. movie for me a little bit. And it is unfortunate because otherwise, like you had said, it is basically a perfect yeah. film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. To so me, it is. To see them say things like that and do that, it's like, God damn it. Yeah. You know? 
Um, the, my positives are all the same that we had said: performances, cinematography, score. Yeah. Uh, the makeup. Yeah. As well. Oh yeah. Um, I think that the pacing is basically perfect. Yeah. yeah. And the way that they edit, it's just great. Um, the other only negative thing that I can bring up that wasn't brought up before is I do think as much as I love Hannibal Lecter as a character, mm-hmm. they do kind of give him a little too much power. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever she comes in there and is talking to him and he's like, was it a butterfly? Cari-? I was like, how do you know yeah. that? How the fuck do you know that? Like, there's no reason for him to know that. Right. And then when he calls her at the end and he's like, I'm going to go eat Chilton now or whatever. Yeah. Like, how did you get the number? <laughs> Well, it's an like, FBI thing. But you have to go wait. So he has to <laughs> find the, the party. Extension. Extension, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, so he has to find the party and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I just, there's some things. And also the, the third <laughs> act, I feel like is a little rushed. It's very fast. I don't think it feels rushed, but it is fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say the only part that feels rushed to me because the ending pacing is perfect. Yeah. The only part that feels rushed to me is when Clarice calls it in and Crawford's like, yeah, we're on the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck? How do you know? Yeah. That? <laughs> I'll give you that because there's been no discussion <laughs> like nope. at all. But somehow... He's on the case, and yeah. it's, it's the wrong fucking house. But I mean, still. Right. Oh, I I did forget to mention that him making the phone call and then following Chilton down the road is a perfect ending to me. Yes, that is a yeah. ten out of oh, ten. Yeah. Fucking that is ending. amazing, and I hope he does eat the fuck I out of this dude. <laughs> but I love Chilton when he's getting off. He's like, there is security, right? Yeah, <laughs> there is a cannibal on the loose. <laughs> <laughs> but no, outside of that, I do think that it, it's a great film. Um, the unfortunate inclusion and confusion yeah. yes. and ignorance yeah. of that does definitely take it down. Mm-hmm. But also so do those other things <laughs> to a lesser degree, I will yeah. admit. But for me, <laughs> out of 10 loudly screaming lambs, I will be joining you all hey. and giving The Silence of the Lambs nine loudly screaming lambs out of 10. Ding, 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 ding. We've done it. I feel yeah. like it's been a while. It has been yeah. a while. The hat trick. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. Is that all you've got? I don't know. I'm tired. How about, <laughs> how about we silence these three lambs yeah. <laughs> right now? <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate the Silence of the Lambs and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at Real Streeter eighty four, and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, when stakes are high and lives are on the line, sometimes you have no choice but to make a deal with the devil. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for our special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Yeah. Me, 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 me. T, wake up. Sorry, I was having <laughs> such <laughs> frightening dreams. I was a horrible dream. <laughs> the special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, 
Kent Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin on Tavares, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Michelle Moore, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Amanda Aliff, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Nicholas Carter, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Craig Kowalski, Gary, Beth, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, and Emma Hegel Kissinger. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you. Yes, very much. And we truly mean it when we say we'd be thrilled to have any one of you for dinner. Well, hold on. Not not in the cannibal way. Oh, really? I mean, if we want. (laughs) (laughs) What were you mad? (laughs) (laughs) With some Chianti, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Until next time.